Love really is a funny thing. Saturday, the 3rd of October, 1981. Picture the scene. A five-year-old me, surrounded by my toys, playing quietly on the floor of my parents' South London council flat. My dad flicks on the telly, and I'm quickly distracted by the sound of an expectant football crowd and the voice of a commentator, Brian Moore. Ardiles! As a young Aussie drives from midfield inside his own half, flicking the ball out to our special guest this evening, who, evading three challenges, drifts out to the left flank, pirouettes on the ball before sending a high, arcing diagonal pass to the majestic Glenn Hoddle, who pops up on the right-hand side of the 18-yard box before coolly sending a first-time ball back across the box with his instep, perfectly weighted into the path of the arriving Mark Falco, who then finishes past the stranded keeper just some random old bloke named Peter Shilton, with a ferocious first-time volley. Well, that was me, done. I was under football's spell. Now, fast forward, September 1990. Former World Cup winner, R.D. Les, now manager of my beloved Swindon Town, is in search of inspiration for a squad that's still battling to overcome the demotion that we suffered just days after I shed tears of joy at Wembley. The answer was to sign our special guest. By April 1991, Ozzy Ardiles had been tempted away by sleeping giants Newcastle, and the response from the Swindon board? The appointment of none other than Glenn Hodgman to his first managerial role. Now, if you're not recognising the romance and poetry by now, I may as well pack up and go home. As I said, love's a funny thing. Not only was tonight's guest responsible for me falling in love with football per se, but when he reappeared in my mid-teens as our club played arguably its most scintillating football, winning at Wembley in a spectacular fashion and delivering a top-flight experience to the county ground for the first time in our history, it was stuff that was written in the stars. So, four seasons, 143 appearances, 18 goals before a surprise departure back to his beloved Tottenham Hotspur and a reunion with Messrs Ozzy Ardiles and Colin Caldwood. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to give you son of Sunderland, Tottenham Hotspur favourite and bona fide Swindon Town legend, Michael Mickey Hazard. Mickey, good evening. How are you? Good evening. I'm very good, thank you. Looking forward to the show. Well, looking for, mate, as I said to you, I said to you in the build-up to this, an emotional one for me, because it's... We've spoken to a few Swindon Town legends since the show launched back in November last year, and all of them have been an absolute thrill. But this is the first one that's really pulled on my heartstrings because I, I literally, my family were Tottenham Hotspur through and through. Growing up in Catford, South East London, you're probably a little bit puzzled as to how I'm such a big Swindon Town fan. But for you to be there right at the very start and play a role in that particular goal that sucked a five-year-old me into the game, mate, that's the, that, that's emotional stuff. Even you would agree. Yeah, no. Um, it was a very special goal, to be honest with you. And I, when I look back at it or when I see clips of it, I think you posted me a clip as well the other day. Uh, you've clipped, Maybe you've posted me it two or three times. I have. Um, but I've got to say that. In my history of Spurs goals, that would rank very, very near the top of them. Um, not just because of the, the, the way we scored it, but because it was synonymous with the style of football that Tottenham Hotspur Football Club have preached throughout its history. Um, and if you if you look to a goal that would sort of epitomise everything that we were about as a team, that goal captured every bit of it. So 
yeah, a very special goal and for a young five-year-old to be sucked in. No, doesn't surprise me because I was 21 at the time and it's or 20 and it sucked me in. Oh, Mickey. Well, and, and, and the funny thing was, it was, what, a matter of minutes, really, later, and Glenn Oddles teed you up for what must probably be your second favourite Spurs goal of all time, past Peter Shilton again. Yeah, I mean, it was a regular occurrence in those days to score past Peter, to be fair. Um, but no, that was my first my first ever league goal. Um, so it was such a special goal, one goal of the month too. Um, so to play a part in one of the best Spurs goals, but then to score uh, another one, maybe not quite as good, but, but certainly on a par. And in fact, I was very surprised that it won goal of the month because I actually thought the Mark Falkor goal was actually better. Uh, because it had everything. It had the, 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 the fluency of the movement, the skill, uh, the, the range of pass, the, 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 the technique, the, the movement. It had everything. Uh, so that, for me, should have won goal of the month. Well, Mickey, look, you're, you're, I'm sure you'll agree as someone that, you know, your, your passion for football went way beyond the sort of end of your professional football career. And I mean, there's many a, many a club that you played for sort of way outside the professional game. And the quote about your love for football and, and, and your want to carry on playing for the love of football was always kind of within the first sort of two or three lines of the introduction. But football's got this wonderful way of, of throwing up these, these quirks and like karma-like coincidences that happen and the, the reason why I thought it was such a good way to start tonight's show talk about that particular goal and for those that, those listening that haven't see it, seen it I do urge you to go on and search it up 1981 versus um, Nottingham Forest at uh, White Hart Lane but the, the interesting thing if you're a Swindon Town fan is clearly that the move was really driven forward by ex-Swindon Town manager Ozzy Ardiles the, the key pass was delivered by Swindon Town legend Mickey Hazard. The, the if you will, the penultimate assist was delivered by ex-Swindon Town um, player manager and all-time great, arguably, Glenn Hoddle. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a, a goal that would go on a typify style of football that you guys all brought down to the West Country with you um, and, and introduced to a whole new raft of players. So, um, yeah, it... it during that period of time when you were, you were at, at, at Swindon Town, Mickey, there was a, a long period of um, kind of like a casual association with Tottenham that the fans would draw, like playing that Tottenham way. And that became the Swindon way for many of us of a certain generation like me. And it's the, the standard that we hold Swindon Town teams to now. Um, I mean, in reality, mate, we were very spoiled, weren't we? <laughs> I, I have to say, number one, um, to have a, a World Cup winner like Ozzy Ardiles at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club was serene. So um, to have them down at Swindon Town uh, for their fans must have been wow, uh, you know, totally serene. Uh, and then of course um, Ozzy signed me, um, who had I wouldn't say learnt my trade at Spurs. Um, I'd obviously learnt it when I was young, but had it enhanced by Spurs and then obviously to bring Glenn Audley in at the same time and, and to for them to introduce the quality of football that was renowned at Spurs and, and bring it to a, a club like Swindon um, was quite an, quite an incredible achievement I think I think that you know if we look at what Glenn's achieved in the game what Aussie's achieved in the game um, as managers as players 
I think surely one of their greatest achievements, which must be um, the quality of football that they brought to a, 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 a lovely little club like Swindon Town Football Club, you know, that must rank incredibly high on their list of achievements because it really was very, very special. And to be part of it, to be to be one of the members of that team that played that football, um, you know, when you're playing, um, it's sort of... Um, you take it for granted as such. But I think it's it's years later when you've retired, when you realise just how wonderful that little period was, not just in the history of Swindon, but in, in our own histories. You, you know, anybody can go and play for a top club with top players and, uh, and produce quality football. But when you go to a smaller club um, to produce an attempt to play the quality of football that was played without the, the finances to, to sign the really top players of the world to, to, to do it at a, a club like Swindon was quite incredible, I think. And, 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 and for that, I will always say that um, it would rank so high in Glenn and Ozzy's greatest achievements because of where they did it. You know, Guardiola's did it at Barcelona, he's did it at Bayern Munich, he did it at Manchester City with vast amounts of money on offer to, to surround himself with great, great top world-class footballers. Glenn Odell and Ozzy Ardiles preached that same style that Guardiola preaches, but he did it with far lesser players at far lesser clubs, with far lesser finances. And, and that must rank surely as one of their greatest achievements. Well, it's interesting you say that, Mickey, because I've just finished reading Glenn's book. And I think anyone that's kind of done that cover to cover, I think Glenn makes just that point that, you know, England manager, Tottenham manager, Wolves manager, you know, manager of Southampton, yeah, managed some super clubs and, and managed some super players. But he makes that that very point that, you know, his achievements at Swindon Town rank right up there and, and, and rightly so. Um, but tonight, we, listen, Mickey, we're going to have a little bit of fun tonight because as, as I said during yeah. the setup to this show, we'll, let's, 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 um, what we like to do is, um, We'd like to try and come at things from a slightly different angle with the show. And I'm going to introduce you to my co-host uh, shortly, Tyler, who's um, also a... Uh, he's, his family are steeped in an appreciation of Spurs, you'll be pleased to know, as well as being diehard Swindon Town fans. So you're in good company, Mickey. You're on safe ground. But what, we, what, we, what I thought we'd do is we'll we'd drill into that squad and we'll do um, what, what we'll casually refer to as my teammates of 1993. Um there's no, it's, it's a nice and casual conversation, almost like we bumped into you at a bar. And I'm going to literally go through those lads. And hopefully you'll be able to almost like player by player, um, lift the lid on what those boys were like, you know, their characters. I'm sure you've got a lot of the funny stories that you still recall from back then. Um, I'm, inevitably, it will take us into journeys like the Birmingham comeback. We'll talk about the, the Wembley experience, the Tranmere experience in the semis. And I'm sure we're going to touch on quite a few of your 18 uh, stories amongst your 18 great goals as well. Um, but at, at this stage, I'll introduce you to Tyler. Tyler, meet Mickey, Mickey, meet Tyler. Hi, Tyler. You all right? How are yeah, you? I'm good. You? Yeah, I'm not bad, not bad. Good on you. So, Mickey, Tyler's, uh, Tyler's at, uh, I, I like to refer to him as my... Um, <laughs> as my, uh, how can I put this? I'm the old duffer. Tyler's the young upstart. 
So I, with the, the way this show kind of works quite nicely is I've got a wonderful point of reference on the Lou Macari, Ozzy Ardiles, Glenn Oddle years. Poor old Tyler, he, he's had to put up with a lot of stuff that's followed on from that, which I'm sure you'll uh, you'll appreciate. Means he's he's missing a large chunk of the golden generation. Um, and I and I love I love teasing him about the stories that I've been out to enjoy, and poor old Tyler hasn't. So, um, but Tyler, I said I said as part of the introduction, your your family got a good appreciation for Spurs, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, obviously with with Glenn, uh, Ozzy, Mickey, it's it sort of just naturally came about for them all because they're, they're mainly town fans. But where, when you've got that Spurs connection coming through, anyway, you you do sort of grow a soft spot. You certainly do, and also Mickey, it didn't just sort of stop with those golden players we talked about either, did it? Because it would be remiss of us not to talk about Johnny Moncur coming from Spurs, the likes of Sean Close. Who we, we actually, when Ozzy signed Sean, we kind of hoped that he was gonna, you know, he'll do the business. He was he was Ozzy's first signing. It never quite happened, but there were there were places, people like Tony Galvin as well that also played for us. All of these all of these guys have all sort of like you know served some time at the lane um, and were brought up playing a certain type of football. So um, as I say, all sort of like tips I have back to that golden generation. But if we if we move on to the 1993 squad then, um, yeah. I'll, I'll throw a couple of curveballs at you because there, there was there was a group of young lads in and around that squad um, who it didn't make a lot of appearances in 93. But I'm going to start by throwing a name at you of Austin Berkeley. Do you remember Austin as part of the group that would have included the likes of um, Marcus Phillips, Andy Thompson? I guess A.D. Vivash was at the sort of older end of that group. But how important was that Was that group of youngsters, including the likes of Austin, to that squad? Um, well, listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a massive believer in youth and developing your own uh, youngsters to come through. You know, every great footballer that's ever been developed like Lionel Messi, like Diego Maradona, like Ronaldo, they've all been developed from being a youth, a young junior player to a young youth team player. And then they've made it through uh, into becoming a world-class superstar. So why not develop your own if you can find the um, the method that will help you produce that world-class footballer? Um, for a club like Swindon, it could be the difference between survival or not because of the money that it could generate. So developing your own i always think a youth system is, is absolute key to a club's success uh, whether it be at the very top of the game um you know if you look at the great man united team that won so many trophies beckham skulls the neville brothers gigs uh, nicky butt wes brown they had so many homegrown talents um, because the homegrown players, they give uh, a, a, a club its heart and soul. And then the big name signings, what they do is that they come in and they help make the homegrown players better footballers because they're playing with better footballers. They're being educated by better footballers as well as what they've learned from within the club. And the two combined go to making a really successful uh, part. So there's a, uh, a team, there's a, there's a massive role for youth players coming through the system to, to help the the sort of young professionals that are in the first team, but also the senior professionals. You've got to keep them on your toes uh, because if you're not developing youth, then there's nothing coming through to keep the players in the team on their toes. Um, yeah. That's really important because, you, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the rotational system of modern-day football. I don't like it. I always believe that you pick mm. your best 11 players and then it's up to the ones behind to push the 11 one, to keep them on the toes, but two, to try and take their place. 
Uh, but when you've yeah. took that place, you've got to stay in the side, which means when you're out the side, you've got to fight order to get in it. If you're forever guaranteed a place just because of the rotation, then there's less incentive to, to fight, uh, to improve, to develop, to grow, to force your way into the team. So um, the importance of youth players, um, doesn't matter who it is, it's important that they develop and grow to keep players like me yeah. who are coming to the end of my career um, ready to fight for my place to sustain my career for a bit longer. Did you, so as a, as a group of youngsters, I mean, probably the best thing, I mean, I mentioned Austin, but then I also mentioned people like, you know, the Marcus, I mean, we're talking about a long time ago and a lot of these lads, your Eddie Murrays, etc. they they didn't make a lot of appearances in that 93 season. And and, and actually, the, the squad wasn't that big on numbers, was it really, when you when you look back at it? But did they, as, as, a, as a group of young lads, did you, I guess, a couple of questions really. A, did you ever think that, Taking on board what you're saying about pushing the players on, did you feel that we had the strength in depth with the younger players and that they were of a sufficient quality that they could have pushed on through? And, and, and equally, what, what were they like as a, as, a, as a group of lads? Because you're talking, you know, it, it's one thing walking into a change room and seeing, with all due respect to some of our more recent legends, the Billy Painters, the, the John Paul McGovern's, the Charlie Austins, these boys walking into a change room and there's a Glenn Hoddle. That's that's a, that's a very different kettle of fish. So, okay, like I say, a twofold question really. One, did they really have the the quality as a group of youngsters, as a collective, to really feel like for you guys to really feel like they were challenging you? But but also, what yeah, what were they like as characters, as personalities, those young lads? Um, well, first of all, I remember everyone that you've that you've named, and and I have to say that they were all um, very very nice young lads, um, maybe too nice, um, and that's not. A slur. I'd rather be nice than not nice. Um, but sometimes, yeah. um, in football, as a youngster coming through, while you have to respect who you're up against and what you're trying to achieve, um, it's also important to not have so much respect that it, it hinders you in your growth. Um, and I felt that maybe, you know, people like Eddie Murray and, and Marcus Phillips and, and uh, Austin and uh, I think Ty Godden came a little bit little bit later um, I think we brought him in from some non-league club I think um, so the Nicky Summerby was coming through Fitzroy Simpson um, they were sort of a couple of year, maybe a couple of years later than them them guys so th there was youngsters there sort of knocking on the door pushing um, did I personally ever feel threatened by anyone no I didn't um, would Glenn Odell have? I'm pretty confident he wouldn't have. Um, well, if you're the manager, you're not going to be, are you? <laughs> um, so, so uh, no, um, I never felt threatened. I don't think anyone particularly played in my position, which maybe helped. Um, there was no one sort of that sort of playmaker type who, who, who was a major threat to me. You know, Eddie, I think Eddie was a sort of centre back. Uh, Marcus Phillips sort of could have been classed as someone who, an attacking midfielder, uh, Austin midfielder as well, but not in my uh, mould. Um, so no, uh, did I feel threatened? No, not not one little bit. Um, I felt that as long as I was fit and able, um, I would be in the team week in week out. Of course, if I was injured or coming back from injury, I would have to work my way back to my fitness levels, but. No, I, I have to be honest there and say, no, I never felt at any stage during my old stay at um, 
to Swindon that anybody was sort of threatening me from behind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it was a... It, 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 what, what really amazed me when I got to, when we got to the end of that season and achieved the success we did, you kind of I started looking back at old match day programs and you look at the size of the squad and when you start eliminating, you know, some of the some of the younger lads that you never really felt like got a run of games. I mean, yeah, there were a few league appear league cup appearances and whatnot, but you sort of marvelled at how few players actually carried us as far as we did that season. Um, and I'll never forget, uh, I mean, we'll come on to Wembley, but I'll never forget the point where Leicester pulled it back to 3-3. I remember at that stage, leaning on the cliche that the boys look like they're running on fumes here, you know, and actually then sort of thinking, well, look, it's unsurprising given the number of players, or a few number, you know, the, the, the relatively few number of players that we picked. But, um, all right, fascinating. Well, look, we go, from, we go from like a group of youngsters then, to a very, very established and very popular figure at Swindon Town. At Mr. Reliable left-back, marauding left-back, goal-scoring left-back, assisting left-back, Paul Bowden. What, what are your memories of Zippy? Well, I think it's important to... You know, when you are playing at any particular time with a group of players, um, I think that you sort of not really... Um, aware of you're aware of it but you're not really taking any notice of it if you like because you're all out there playing together and doing what you've got to do together so you're not aware of what or how lucky you are to have played with such a lovely group of lads but also such a good group of footballers given that we'd sort of dropped down a league um, so Paul Bowden was a very funny character a really really nice guy very um, very charming very um, friendly and warm um, always ready for a quip but ever such a good player as well and, and in the role that, that certainly Glenn Odell wanted to use him um, that sort of wing back role um, he was perfect for that system and because he loved to get forward he had a wonderful left foot he could he could put crosses in he could score goals he was ever such a good player for maybe more underrated than he should have been because he really could have played at the very top um, as a left back uh, and it surprised me that he never actually um, went on and really made a big name for himself although he made a big name in Swindon and what have you but, but he was far better than that he could have gone and played for a, a, a really top club I think he was a really really good player Yeah interesting one Zippy because I've got very clear so where I live Mickey I'm literally a, a stone's throw from Sellers Park really um, and there's a, a, a lot of a lot of the people that live amongst me, around me, and uh, you know, amongst the family are all Crystal Palace supporters. Um, I just because of where I lived at the time, uh, I took in a few of Paul games, uh, Paul's games at, at the Palace when he moved over there. For what at the time was quite a decent chunk of change. And I, 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 I like you, I I was always surprised that he never really made a name for himself at Palace in that, you know, superb Palace side of Wright, Bright, Gray, Eric Young, Andy Thorne. I mean, they really were on the up. Um, but it just never really clicked for him. I mean, did you, was there ever a, a sort of discussion that either you had with him or the squad had, Mickey? No, no what, what I will say through? is, what I will say is, is that, um, Football at Swindon was sort of false, um, and I mean that as as a, as a wonderful compliment. Um, it, it was sort of false because English football at that time was 
was going through a period of up and under and um, kick the ball as high and as far as you can. Um, and we were sort of different to the norm. We were the ones who played it on the floor, played it through the, the different uh, sections of the team, um, rarely resorted to long ball. Um, so consequently, the the players um, were successful within that system because it enabled them to be, or it played a part in them being successful. First of all, they had to be good enough to play in that system and had to understand that system. Um, but the system itself is is created, you know, when you play the beautiful game, that wonderful flowing passing game of football, that gives each and every one of you the opportunity to showcase your talents. Um, whereas when you play in a, an under team, um, unless they play through the, the each unit of the side, you, or it's bypassing it. I mean, for instance, if, if I had played for Wimbledon in those days, I wouldn't have got a kick to the ball. And you might never have yep. seen my talents develop in the way that they they could. Um, but that's why I always chose my moves carefully because I wanted to play the beautiful game. Um, mm. So if we were playing the beautiful passing game, then I wanted to be part of it because I knew I would flourish in that. Um, and I think that's maybe what happened to Paul is that he was so good within that um, system, that false football that we created. It's not false football, it's beautiful football. Uh, but it was false in that in the English game at that time because hardly anybody else played that way. Um, so Paul was wonderful in that system, but going to a um, another system of play, another style, um, it maybe would have not allowed him to flourish the way he flourished in that Swindon team. It's interesting because I mean we'll yeah we we the couple couple more points on Zippy before we move on, but. David Kerslake was probably another example like that, you know, where David moved off to Leeds for quite a lot of money um, into a very, very successful Leeds side. wasn't wasn't the same player, was he, as he was at Swindon, where he was an he was an absolute deity down that right hand side. And yeah. obviously, a, a move on after Leeds to Spurs, and you saw glimpses of the great David Kerslake that we saw, but he was never for me. He was never quite the same player. Um, now, I appreciate that. Obviously, he went he went up levels and moved into the prem and so forth. But yeah, it was a, it was a, for me always a similar scenario. But go, go, going back to Zippy, then, um, be, being totally honest with me, Mickey, at, at the stage we get the, the we get the penalty. Did you have any doubts in your mind, or do you remember what was going through your mind when Zippy spotted it up? Yeah, I remember it as if it was yesterday. <laughs> I said, why the heck is Glenn Oddle not taking it? <laughs> Simple as that. You know, we've got the, yeah. we've got, for me, the most naturally gifted footballer that I've ever seen um, in England, um, almost in the world. I've not seen many more naturally gifted than Glenn Oddle, uh, if any. Um, and he was penalty taker all his career. Um, experienced at taking penalties we're in a major cup uh, playoff final uh, to get to the Premier League and I just felt wow I mean if I was on the pitch I'd have been taking it um, but Glenn being Glenn uh, I, I suppose from a manager's perspective you know it was I don't know it's it's your players day um, Glenn had had all his glories I suppose and, and, and I'm certain his mind would have it would have passed through his mind, but then I thought it was very honourable 
in reality, you know, in hindsight, very honourable that, you know, because he could have stepped up, took the pen and took the glory that goes with it. And he didn't. Um, but, it, you know, if I was the manager sitting on the side of the pitch, I'd have been saying, they're not a penalty. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but I never doubted Zippy would score. He had a really, really lovely left foot, Zippy. Um, but, you know, that's what was going through my mind. Glenn Oddle should be taken. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was an interesting one at the time. I mean, I'll be honest. Bizarrely, Mickey, I'm a, I'm a huge Glenn Hoddle fan, but the thought never occurred to me that that should have been Glenn taking the penalty. And hearing you kind of bring that to life, I, I totally understand the logic behind it. I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll come on and uh, we'll talk about Glenn in a bit because there's a, a couple of moments, particularly in that season, that were pure theatre. But, um, yeah, blow me. I mean, um, you, you talk about a, a, a cool head. I think the thing that really struck me, and it even came out in Zippy's celebration as well, if there was a guy you wanted that late in the game, following on from that level of drama, taking that penalty from a Swindon Towns fan's point of view, it was Paul. Now, interestingly, from the stands, I had absolutely no doubt either that he would he would hit the back of the net. But how cruel was it a few weeks later when he's he's charged to do something very similar for Wales and it didn't quite go to plan? Um, so, again, we talk about the quirks of football. Um, it, 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 it doesn't always work out the way you want, does it? <laughs> listen. I'm, I'm sorry for any Wales fans that I might be uh, offended or upset with any old... Just listen. Ever. Let me just say this to you. I haven't taken any number of penalties throughout my career. I never... I sat in a dressing room before a game. I never once felt nervous. Uh, I was very confident in the ability that I had. I didn't feel if I was on my day, anybody could touch me. So I never felt nervous before games because I felt like I only have to play to my talents and, and I'll be the best. But every time I took a penalty, I might have looked so confident and so assured and so certain. But let me tell you, my legs were like jelly. Wow. So when anybody misses a penalty... <laughs> When anybody misses a penalty, uh, um, I have to say that I fully understand uh, because when you're in practice and you practice on them, the goal looks 400 yards wide. But then when you're in a game, it looks a yard wide and the, and the goalie looks like it's filling the old goal. Uh, and as you run up to, to strike the ball, your legs turn to jelly. Um, and it's actually hard to, 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 to keep your balance almost. And, and we do see players slipping over. Um, but it's the only occasion in a football game where I've really felt um, like, wow, why do I put myself through this? Um, because it's, it's, I suppose, part of the nervousness of the situation is, is that it, it's a no-win situation. If you score, you should score. Uh, but if you missed, you're a, every name under the book. So I suppose that adds to the, the pressure of the situation. Uh, and, yeah. But I haven't been someone who doesn't really feel pressure, don't think about pressure, don't feel nervous. Um, penalties, God, my legs used to turn to jelly as I was running up to kick the ball. Yeah, but you, know, but you were such a natural, like, from the stand, Vicky, because you took plenty of them, you know, yeah, and yeah. certainly you did in, in the red and white Swindon town. That, that never came across. So... Oh. That was all kidology, was it, buddy? I wouldn't say it was kidology. I think I think you're left with no option. 
and, and the, the the beauty of nerves, from my perspective, is is that nobody can see them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anybody, uh, in fact, keeper knew what I was feeling as I was running up. It would fill him with so much confidence, but unfortunately, he couldn't tell uh, because I ran up and I struck the ball. But but uh, the, the the moments before I struck the ball were possibly the worst moments in my football career. So was do you do you again sort of like my closing point on Zippy then was. Did, was 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 his penalty taking something you saw a lot of in training? Was that just muscle memory for him? Was that I mean, it clearly he was a penalty expert, but what what was it about you know about Paul taking it that filled you with confidence? Because I'm kind of guessing you must have seen this hundreds of times from him before, you know, just relentless routine. Or no, I, 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 I tend to judge. If you ask me to take a penalty take, pick a penalty taker, I would always pick someone who's calm if, if you're calm in possession of the ball it tends to mean that you, you'll, you'll approach a penalty in the same way that uh, doesn't mean you won't get nervous I mean I was very very calm on the ball I never I never ever panicked I, I always felt you know if you the, the, the analogy that I use to describe composure in football is that uh, if I'm trapped in a house that's burning fire and I run down to the front door and the, the flames are rising, the smoke's rising, uh, and I panic. Then the next day they find me burnt uh, to death with scratch marks all around the door. But if I keep my compact calmness and composure, then I say, right, the handle's generally in the middle of the door, on the outside of the door, so work, find where the outside of the door is, work my hand round till I find the handle. And then I open the door and I get out the fire and I save myself. And that's football. Some players feel under pressure when there's a man 25 yards away. And other players, like Glenn Noddle, you could have three men three men around him half a yard away and he wouldn't feel under any pressure. Um, so calmness and composure enables you to have a much, much clearer picture of what's happening around you. So when you choose a penalty taker, for me, I would always choose the one who, who's calm in possession and calm. Um, and in control of his emotions. And Zippy was that. Zippy was very calm under pressure. Um, he, you never felt he would panic. He, you know, he never just put the ball into Rose Ed, really. He would always try to play and, and get the ball down and, and, and play it out. Um, so that meant to me that he would have the calmness and the composure to take a penalty. Gotcha. Well, talking about calmness and composure then, it's only right and proper that we move on to Mr. Calmness and Composure in a Swindon Town shirt. 54 appearances in 1993. The skipper, Colin Calderwood. What 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 your recollection of the fridge? The fridge. Uh, the fridge. I would say it's rare rare that I have come across as such a incredibly lovely human being as Colin Calderwood. Mm. Um, he was Mr. Nicest. Pers- Mr. Nicest personified. He was just, uh, he was the perfect captain uh, because everybody loved him, everybody respected him. Um, he was calm, composed, um, complimentary. I would, um, if you did something good, he would sing your praises. I give you a confidence boost if you needed it. Uh, he rarely lost his rag. Uh, in fact, uh, in every game I ever played with them, I cannot remember having a cross, one solitary crossword with them, um, because he was 
that type of character. He really was Mr. Wonderful, as far as I'm concerned, and and I would I would actually go as far as to say, is in my time there, I would class Colin as Mr. Swindon. Mm. Were you were you aware, Mickey, when you arrived at Swindon, just how much Colin had already achieved? As in, clearly, obviously, Colin had been with us promotion out of what is obviously the current division that we find ourselves in. Subsequent promotions coming out of the third tier. A, almost a successful playoff campaign and then a successful playoff campaign and then the troubles that followed that and Colin stuck with us all the way through. Uh, when you when you arrived at the club in, in that kind of era, did, did Colin have an aura of, of that about him? As in, you know, this is somebody who's already achieved an awful lot in his Swindon, in Swindon Town career. Um, was, was that something that was immediately evident or was it sort of more understated? Um very difficult when you've come from Tottenham Hotspur Football Club or, or or whoever I was playing for when Chelsea, whatever, and you've played with Glenn Odell and Ozzy Ardiles, World Cup winners and FA Cup winners and UEFA Cup winners. You've won these things yourself. It's very difficult to go to um, a football club like Swindon that haven't really competed in these competitions um, and be aware of what individuals within that team have achieved so I was oblivious to Colin I didn't really know Colin and, um, although I had gone to the um, the playoff final with Sunderland where I thought Swindon were absolutely sensational um, and couldn't wait to actually join them um, because I thought that what Aussie's built there is just absolutely perfect for my style um, and I couldn't wait to get there um, so I was oblivious to Colin and his achievements. Um, obviously, I'd spoken to Ozzy about him, and Ozzy speak, spoke very highly of him, so highly that eventually he signed him for Spurs. Um, but I, I, I have to be honest and say that I wasn't aware of hardly any of the Swindon Town players um, and their achievements. Um, whether that's a slur on me or not, it probably is. I, I should have known everything about any club I joined. Um, or, or, or all the players within that club, but I didn't. Um, but quickly got to know them and quickly got to respect and admire Colin. And to this day, I still hold him in the highest of esteem, um, not just as a footballer, but as a, a human being. I think he's an incredible human being. Um, I saw him, I went to a Northampton game recently, up at uh, Northampton, and um, Colin after the game brought me into the uh, uh, the manager's office uh, we sat down and had a right laugh and a joke and a few quips about the, you know, the good old days at Swindon um, and it was nothing that I wouldn't expect of Colin uh, Mr Wonderful and, and, and uh, Mr Swindon Yeah, I mean it, it, I'll tell you what, a funny thing Mickey actually, because we've We've obviously, since your time, we've had more than more than our fair share of managerial changes at Swindon, and and for various reasons, the timing always seemed to be working against us in relation to Colin ever coming back to the club. So I remember he was doing at one point he was doing particularly well at Forest, and we were looking at having some managerial changes, and you could see that we that the, the way that things worked at that time it didn't quite work out, and then I believe. It may have even been before Forrest, actually, if I'm correct. When he was at Hibs, similar story. We had a managerial change a couple of weeks after he ends up leaving Hibs. And then there was there was talk when he was, I think, when he was at Cambridge, 
there was talk of potentially we could be seeing Colin Caudle at the county ground. And again, the, 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 the timing's just never quite stacked up. But yeah, one of the great frustrations for me, I guess I spoke to a West Ham fan recently and they said something to me, something similar about Bobby Moore. No. They were saying that the great Bobby Moore to them, like Colin Caudle is almost like our, regarded as our Bobby Moore. Um, and again, the timing was never quite right. With with Moro as he as this West Ham fan called him, Moro could never it never quite worked for him in terms of him getting the big job at West Ham. Um, do you knowing Colin as you do, then Mickey? Do you do you think that Colin has probably resigned no. himself now in the modern era of football to to being a a coach as opposed to being sort of the you know the front of the shop presence that is a manager? Or do you think we 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 could ever harbour any hopes of seeing Colin back at Swindon Town in the top job? I think it depends where he is at the time that the job arises, of course. I mean, I went to the Northampton Swindon game and was very impressed with the quality of the football that Swindon played that day, actually. They played very well. I think it was a one-all draw. Um, Swindon played very well. Um, spoke with the Swindon manager after the game as well. Um, will Colin one day be back there? Why not? Um, I think he's, or his reputation is that he's a very, very good coach. And sometimes um, players are better coaches than they are managers. Um, have they got, you know, to be a manager, you've got to have a bit of a streak. Of, you know, you've got to be tough and you've got to be able to um, command the respect of all the boys, not just by being nice, but also by being tough when you need to be. Um, and, and Colin has that streak, no doubt about it. So um, I think it depends. Uh, I'd like to see him back at Swindon. I'd have liked to manage Swindon as well um, a few years ago. I thought I was, um, I, I was interested. I, I wouldn't never put myself forward, um, but I felt that, um, that they could have come in for me. Um, I'd have gone straight away. Um, but Colin, yes, I can see Colin one day being the Swindon manager. I'm sure it's, uh, uh, I'm sure it's in one of his um, lists that he'd like to achieve given the, how successful he was there. Um, who knows? Um, certainly, I wouldn't write it off um, as time as the time passed them by. No, there's still plenty of time, and, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if one day he, he became the manager. So did you, go, going back to Colin as a, as a skipper then, you, you sort of touched on it there about, you know, he, he, he could certainly sort of be lively where he needed to. Did, 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 do you ever have any stories of um, Colin, Colin sort of showing his teeth in the dressing room? Um, because he was always, the, the demeanour you saw on a pitch, well, hence his nickname, he was always just sort of like cool as cool as a cucumber. I do remember at, at, at Wembley, in 90, I think it was the Wembley game, 93, where he was having a tussle with Joe Shim and there was there was a little bit of handbags. But it, it never, I don't, I don't ever really recall Colin properly throwing a wobbler. But was he, was it, I mean, how did he command the dressing room? Was it that steely sort of what he didn't, it was almost what he didn't say that, that got people's attention or when he needed to, could he throw the teacups? I think that uh, in those days, football was maybe slightly different in that it was the manager who commanded the dressing room at half time. The assistant manager would then have his say, etc. The captain rarely would um, get a chance to speak. Um, other than to say something, you know, motivational. Like, Come on, guys, we can do this. You know, Colin was full of that, um, but I never heard him. I never heard him say anything angry or or behave in a 
a really um, angry way. Um, yeah. I know it was. I know it's within him if he needs to, um, but but he he preferred the. Um, the problem with shouting and, and ranting and raving is sometimes the message doesn't get across because it creates a, a bad reaction in, in whoever you're being angry at. Um, so it's it's far better to, 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 to actually talk to them in a, a nice, charming manner, uh, which will enable the message that you're trying to get over to get over um, rather than... Because sometimes... Um, you start shouting at a player or throw a cup of tea at them or whatever, um, then the, the, the player's reaction to that is often uh, to meet aggression with aggression. Um, so he will come back and have a go and, 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 and that's not then achieving the end product. The end product, mm. product is you need your message to get over um, so that when they get back out on the pitch, they need to, and this is where Glenn was great. Glenn never, I rarely heard Glenn lose his head neither because he would rather, he wanted his message to get over for when we went back out onto the pitch and, and, and pretty much uh, Colin was very much like that too. Yeah. So, yeah, again, the, the nickname sort of speaks volumes. But look, an old, an old sort of, an old Spurs colleague of yours and, and he's, he's much maligned is the lad that I'm about to bring up now, Mickey. And I'm fascinated to get your views on him. Appreciate he didn't play that much football. I, I mentioned Ozzy Ardiles, his first signing. Sean Close. Now, came came with a reputation of being a goal scorer at the, you know, away from the first team ranks at Tottenham. Arrived at Swindon and it just never quite happened for him. Um, what were your what were your recollections of Sean as a, as a, as a striker? Because appreciate he had, he had formidable... Um, uh, opponents for his shirt in, ahead of him. Initially, when he's first arrived, he's got Duncan Shearer in the squad. And he's got Steve White scoring goals. And then, obviously, the, the following season, you've got Dave Mitchell comes in and Dave Mitchell scoring loads of goals as well. But do you do you have any kind of Spurs recollections and any of these Swindon recollections on Sean? I think as a as a 16-year-old, everybody had high hopes for Sean. Um, and I think at 16... He had lots and lots and lots of potential, you know, but it's remembering that as a 16-year-old, uh, life as a footballer is a lot, lot simpler. Um, number one, the people that you're playing against are they're not the finished article. They're not even close to being the finished article. They've got a lot of learning to, to, to do before they even get close to being the finished article. So often there's there's weaknesses in defenders, midfielders, set forwards uh, all over the pitch. So therefore it's easier to score a goal. There'll be more mistakes happen at that level or more bad positional play or more this or more that. You know, for instance, I always use the, an analogy whereby there's a seven-year-old kid who can beat 13 seven-year-olds. And then by the time he's 10, he can only beat six seven-year-olds. By the time he's 13, he can beat three. By the time he's 16, he can't beat any because he hasn't really learned the art of dribbling because he was basically dribbling because of the bad defending of all the kids who hadn't learned how to defend yet. Mm. Um, and that can be sort of thrown at 16-year-olds as well, is that the, 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 the individual defending is not mastered. The, the team defending as, defending as a unit and being linked and close, uh, tied together is not mastered so consequently there's there's much more opportunities to be successful goal scorer and that's why we often see so many 16 17 year olds getting 40 odd goals a season then when when they get into the first team 
where organization and, and, and defensive individual defensive abilities have improved vastly, it uh, becomes much, much more difficult to score. And you've got to have something different. Uh, Sean technically was very good, but he wasn't very tall, so he was never going to be outstanding in the air, uh, although he could hit a ball. Uh, he wasn't very quick, so he wasn't going to be able to get in behind defences on the end of through passes. Um, so never quite um, had enough to actually make that step up from where he was as a 16, 17, 18-year-old to being a first-team player. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's a fair one. And I think the other thing that Sean always had going against him was that the lads that were ahead of him didn't really ever get injured significantly. And and, yeah. and I think so, so much about being a great striker relies on on getting a, a run of games and getting a rhythm. We've got a lad in the first team at the moment at Swindon um, who is he's kind of there or thereabouts. Um, uh, Jaden Mitchell-Lawson reminds me a lot of, of Sean Close. You're kind of just hoping that you get a run of games, you know, get into that rhythm. One goes in off his knee and then he's he's away because so much of it is about confidence. But, sure, yeah, it just seemed like the door never really opened for Sean. But no. a door that was very much open, however, down the other end of the pitch, certainly in relation to the Swindon Town fans, was the great Fraser Digby. What, your, what do you recall of Fraser's time, your, your time with Fraser, particularly in that 93 season, Mickey? Fraser Digby, I absolutely adored. I must, I must be honest, I adored him. I thought that. Um, he could be England's number one goalkeeper. I really did. I thought he was very special talent. Um, I'm going to say something detrimental about Fraser, and I hope he doesn't take it. I've actually told him, so he knows. Um, I can't speak any higher, highly, any high, more high of him as a goalkeeper. Um, in that, I thought he was extra special. He had everything that a top goalkeeper should have. Um, the one ingredient that cost them being the best keeper in England was he didn't believe in himself um, in the way that he should. Uh, to have that much talent, to have that much um, going for you as he had, and he was very, very special, I have to say, um, to not fulfil it because you didn't believe in yourself, I find sad. Because there's nothing would have given me greater pleasure than to see Fraser Digby because he's an absolutely smashing human being. I would love to have seen Fraser Digby play a hundred times for England because he was so special as a goalkeeper. Um, but then the fact that I'm saying that, you then have to question why he didn't make it to be the best. Um, and it come down to, and I'm not speaking out of turn here because I've, I've said that too. I did a Q&A with Fraser at Swindon Town Football Club and I said that publicly um, in front of the all crowds to Fraser uh, I genuinely believe that if he'd have had Glenn Oddle's belief um, then I think he would have been England's number one he was that good well, they, they, they also, I mean, from from the stands, Fraser, and it might have been very different in the changing room, but you got the impression that at times he had a difficult relationship with Glenn. Well, was that the case? Because obviously Fraser spent some time away from the club, going back to Man United, and then yeah. came back to Swindon Town, utterly rejuvenated. And I, I do remember a particular goal, and I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly who it was against, possibly against um, that horrible yellow mob up the A420. But um, I remember hot, like Glenn leaning over Fraser, really drilling into him uh, when that goal went in. And I think that was about the time Fraser went off to United on loan. 
was there did, was that was that anything to do with belief and the, their kind of the, the way the two characters were sort of mentally built clashing was was there is there anything in what i'm saying or was was it actually um, no like you know was was i fully aware of look a manager's right is to pick the team that he thinks is the best team or the best players that's his right and uh, his job will be dictated to by whether or not the team he picks is successful or not. Um, and Glenn didn't suffer fools gladly. Glenn wanted uh, to succeed in management, uh, and rightly so. Uh, and he had so much talent as a manager, so much knowledge, so much tactical awareness, um, that there was no reason why he should, he should fail. Um, so uh, it's sort of, Glenn's, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the word, his, his desire to be successful um, always wanted to be the best um, because he'd always been the best. Um, and then Fraser comes along, this incredibly talented goalkeeper, and, and I've no doubt Glenn rated him incredibly highly, um, but then saw reactions in Fraser that would cost... Um, maybe Fraser would make a mistake for a goal and then that goal would play on him, play on his mind for a while and, and sort of wear him down. Whereas, you know, you've got Dapland's goalies make mistakes, outfield players make mistakes. You, you know, you, if you spend your time dwelling on the mistake, then you're going to make another mistake and another mistake. Um, so I, 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 I thought that, uh, and Nicky Hammond had sort of come along and was having a good spell. Um, so Glenn was at liberty to try out. Um, if Fraser was losing a bit of, confidence then it meant that Fraser uh, Glenn had to have a look at Nicky so yeah no one's to blame um, but I wish I really wish that I could have um, helped Fraser at the time uh, because he was England's goalie he, he really was he was special special goalkeeper um, from the minute I arrived I thought wow this 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 boy's got a lot as a goalkeeper if he wants it um, and I think if you speak to Fraser as well, I'm sure Fraser will say he fell short um, in in what he achieved because of how much talent he had um, to be the best goalkeeper in England. I think he really was that good. Mm. Uh, and it's sad. It's sad. It's always sad when someone so special doesn't fulfil. Sometimes I look at myself and I think, um, people say, oh, you had a great career, you won this, you won that, and you won that. And I think, well, yeah, but if you saw the talent that I had, I should have achieved more. Uh, but I had a rebellion. Mine wasn't because of lack of belief. Mine was because I was a bit of a rebel. Um, I would, I only believed that there was one way to play the game. That was the beautiful way. Um, so I wasn't going to deviate my beliefs to accommodate a manager's beliefs, you know? Um, yeah. When really, if I was a little bit cleverer um, or wiser... Um, I would have let the manager think I was, oh yeah, Glenn, or yeah, Rosie, or yeah, Keith, I'll, I'll do that for you. Um, and then every now and again, do it for him. But then the rest of the time, do what I wanted, you know, within the framework yeah. of the team. Uh, but yeah. I was, I was adamant that no, 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 that's, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, w I want to play the beautiful game. I want to play on the floor through this, through, through the units of the team. I want to do creative things. I want to play with skill. I want to play with flair. I want to do the nice things of the game. I don't really enjoy the, 
they're running 50 yards to make a slide and tackle back. That's I'll, I'll just give me the ball at my feet and I'll do the magic. Uh, but you have to adapt your thinking to the managers as well. Um, so I didn't quite fulfil. So I know when I talk about Fraser not fulfilling, I'm sort of in a similar bracket. Um, and, and we might not be classed in the same bracket, but I know the talent that I had and I didn't fulfil. I should have had a lot of England caps and I didn't get a lot. I got picked for England at every level, but I didn't, I didn't fulfil my potential to play for England. Uh, and, and Fraser pretty much the same, although probably to a, a bigger degree than me. Well, you mentioned who else was putting a, a bit of heat up behind Fraser coming in, in Nicky Hammond. So we had them. Um, John, John Gorman was um, speaking to the official supporters club a, a couple of weeks back, and I, I asked him to draw a comparison between Fraser and Nicky, and he um, pointed out that he thought that of the two, the one thing that Nicky really had over Fraser was that he was really comfortable on the deck, and in that particular Swindon team, that that must have been a real pull for Glenn Shawley, like. You talk now about sweeper keepers and, um, you know, I mean, at, at your beloved Tottenham, you've got Hugo Lloris who, um, you know, would sort of fit that mould. But Nicky was ahead of his time, at, you know, back then, wasn't he, in terms of a goalkeeper that's very comfortable on the deck. And I think Fraser would probably be the first one to say that of, of the two keepers, certainly Fraser wasn't as comfortable on the floor as Nicky. What what were your thoughts on Nicky as a keeper? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I fully agree that. If you're looking for a footballing goalkeeper, then Nicky Hammond would be ahead of Fraser Digby. If you were looking for a goalkeeper, then Fraser Digby would be ahead of Nicky Hammond. Uh, but the, 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 the main difference, other than the, the footballing ability on the floor, uh, was that um, Fraser believed that he was less than what he really was. Um, for me, he was great, but he believed he was quite good. And Nicky was much more than what he really was. So mm. Nicky believed he was great, where he was quite good. Uh, mm. To get the, the comparison that I make, one goalkeeper who could have been great believed he was quite good, and another goalkeeper who was quite good believed he was great. And that was the difference between the two, Is uh, and why Nicky had that spell where he, he sort of ousted Fraser and got his run in the team because his, his belief was so much stronger and, and, and also he was good on the floor. Um, but if, if I was, and again, I'm not slurring Nicky because he was a fantastic human being and, and, and also a good goalkeeper. But if I had to choose between the two, Fraser Digby would be, I would have had Fraser Digby in a, a top, top team, not just Swindon Town. I would have had him in a top team. That's how good he was. Um, you know, it's, but I, I see what John's saying about the, the, the football and Glenn wanted to play football. It wasn't, uh, you know, that football, footballing goalkeepers changed once they changed the back pass rule. And I, I can't remember what year the back pass rule came in where you couldn't pass it back anymore um, or the keeper couldn't pick it up when you passed it back. Mm. I, I, do you know what year that came in? Yeah, it was around then. If I recall, um, that would have been about... 90, yeah, what a, let me think. So I remember playing at the time. I was a goalkeeper of no particular regard, Mickey, but I do remember it had a massive impact on my ability and any dreams I had of making it in the pro game just went right out the window because there was just no goalkeeping training on it back then. That yeah. would have been about 90, 
yeah, 94, if I recall, about 94, 95. When yeah, I think, I think that was probably about the time that Nicky started to force his way through, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, of course, uh, once the no picking it up on the passback rule came in, uh, then most keepers, you know, if you if you take Manchester City, for instance, they got rid of a good goalkeeper to bring this goalkeeper in who knows the best footballing. He could almost be a footballer outfield player. Um, yep. the, the goalkeeper they've got now, I mean, he's unbelievable on the ball. Um, you, you know, and Manchester City without him would, wouldn't be the football team that they are because it's almost like they've got 11 outfield players plus a goalkeeper. Uh, and Nicky Hammond, to a, a much lesser degree, had that sort of impact because he had a good left foot and he was pretty good on the ball. Um, and also a decent goalkeeper. So um, I suppose from Glennon John's point of view, the benefits of, of having Nicky on the, in goal was, was twofold in that the, the, the difference in sort of shot stopping um, wasn't that vast. Um, but the the difference in um, being a playmaker, if you like, um, could be quite big. So yeah, I, I, I understand why why they made the decision they made. Yeah. Well, look, okay. So the the next guy we we've mentioned him loads already. You could build an entire show around this one guy in particular, the wonderful Glenn Hoddle. Now. I guess the way the best way I think we could kind of approach this with half an eye on the clock and thinking, blind, we're halfway through the squad and we've done about an hour on this already. But talk, talk to me about what must have gone through your mind or were there any stories, Mickey? Were you aware when Ozzy was going out and Glenn was coming in that Glenn was coming in? And if and indeed, if you weren't aware, and I kind of doubt that you wouldn't have been aware, but what 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 must you have been seeing? Were you were there any doubts that Glenn was going to be a success at Swindon? Uh, no. Um, I was aware he was coming in. Um, a little bit apprehensive. Um, I don't think anybody quite fully understands how difficult it is for a friend and a teammate to suddenly be managed. Not sorry, let me rephrase that. By to be managed by a friend, a teammate, and your hero. Mm -hmm. That's very tough. Um, and I found it very tough because this guy coming in was, was my favourite footballer. He was my hero, my schoolboy hero. Um, I, 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 first time I went to Spurs, for instance, as a 14-year-old, I, I got to train with Glenn Hoddle. And I went home and said, I've just play, trained with the best player in the world uh, at 14 years of age. So that's how I esteem. Uh, then at 16, the, the Weekly Herald, which was the Spurs newspaper they said that they did a big article on me calling me the next Glen Oddle. it made my absolute year to be classed as the next Glen Oddle. um he was that special and so i held him in such incredibly high esteem that suddenly here i was having a manager um who was an incredible footballer who was my hero who had been a friend for however many years I was at Spurs, I can't recall exactly the number of years he'd been there from the day I arrived uh, till the day I left or till the day he left. Um, and suddenly this teammate, this friend, this hero that had so always lived up to that um, and always been your hero and always been your friend and always been your teammate, suddenly he was telling you how to play the game or what what he would expect from you tactically and um and having to 
pull you aside and put you in your place if you're not doing the role he wanted you to do. Believe me, that was the toughest thing that I ever had to cope with, not just with Glenn, but also with Ozzy. But it was less of an impact with Ozzy because Ozzy didn't play as such. Um, but with Glenn, it was um, it was incredibly tough. Um, and I'm not even sure that I handled it very well. I mean, I played very well under Glenn, but um, I'm not sure that I handled that side of things, the, the off-the-field um partnership between manager and player I'm not sure I handled it as well as I should have um, mainly because I held him in such incredibly high esteem and as you know when a son um, is managed by his father at under 11 under 12 football the, the son finds it so much hard harder to take the the advice of his father because it's his father Mm. Well, Glenn, Glenn was almost a father figure to me. Um, yeah. And in fact, I play golf with him regularly on, on a quite a regular basis now. And every time I stand on the first tee with Glenn, I feel a bit nervous because I'm playing golf with my hero. <laughs> so I want to hit this incredible first shot um, because I want him to see how good a golfer I am. And more often than not, I eat a bad shot because I'm nervous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, so obviously... Well, Mickey, look, I, I tweeted that what uh, in Swindon terms has become stuff of folklore early, and I know you picked up on it, which was the exchange that you had when the guys were running the um, the behind-the-scenes documentary of that promotion season. And there was what became, among Swindon fans, a very famous exchange between you and Glenn when Glenn was digging out Sean Taylor um, for losing the ball in a defensive position. And then you, very, and you see Sean's sort of defensive body language, his arms are folded, and then... Out the corner of the sort of shot comes this wonderfully quizzical um, Sunderland accent as Mickey Hazard starts piling in on the great Glenn Hoddle's inability to just give it easy or punt it in the rose head. Do you, do you still remember thinking him out? And is that a good illustration of what you're talking about? Um, yeah, I think that's a, a, it's a pretty good illustration of me maybe not handling him being my manager. I mean, would I have said that to Bobby Robson? Would I have said that to... Um, I'm sure I would have, to be honest, um, because, again, it was... Oh, I like in that argument, it was two purists, football purists, who... To boot the ball, okay, so to fit yourself into my mind, you need to understand first who I am and what I am. So for me to boot the ball means that it goes totally against the grain of how I believe football should be played. And that's not something that I, I, I sort of willingly admit to that or deliberately admit to it because I don't want to boot the ball at any point. It's an admission that the pressure or the pressure that I was put under got the better of me. And, and I remember it well because I had three men coming at me because the man that left, that Glenn had ran towards me, when he rolled the pass to me, no, was Alan McLaughlin, travelled past Glenn to close me down. And there was two men coming at me from the front. Uh, so I remember shaping to, to whack it down the line and then dragging it back inside all three um, to create myself space on the inside. Um, and that's, if you said to me, no, if I found myself in the same position, what would I do? I would do the same. Because that's who I am. Because I'm not putting it in the stand. Because nobody, but nobody is going to make me feel that much under pressure 
that I'm going to resort to something that I don't believe in. So that's my belief, my my strong determination in that I know I believe the game should be played, rearing its ugly head. Uh, and then, of course, Glen Oddle, who was of a similar ilk and a similar belief, probably didn't want to put it in Rose Ed either. Um, <laughs> so consequently, it became a, two players at loggerheads over, why didn't you put it into the stand? No, why didn't you? You know? <laughs> so it became a, a battle of wills. Um, because he was the manager and really, you know, he's he has to be right. He's the manager. Um, but ultimately, I've only been wrong once in my life, and that was in 1961. <laughs> so so the point the point I make is that we had two um, fierce characters, fierce people with fierce, strong beliefs in their abilities and in the way the game that they should that should be played. So neither was prepared to give an inch and say, right, I'm going to put this into Rose Ed because I wasn't and Glenn wasn't. Um, so it became, right, okay, well, I'm, I'm I'm not going to put it in there. So I'm going to be disguised by intentions, come inside three men and then I'm going to give it back to you, Glenn. And you put it in Rose Ed, but I'm not. Well, what was, what, was, what, what was wonderful about that, that particular segment was looking and reading the facial expressions of the body language of all your teammates around you. They kind of wanted the ground to sort of open up and swallow know, them. Yeah. And I think everybody understood exactly what was going on and the, yeah. the subtext behind that conversation. One of the lads that was there that day, um, the next player I was going to talk about, went on to become an absolute superstar in a Swindon shirt, moved on to Man City for quite a lot of money, but a very young Kevin Horlock. So back then we signed Kevin from West Ham as a you know as a as an half decent left back, but ended yeah. up becoming a free scorer midfielder at Swindon Town. Were you were, were you was he back then? Because it would be very easy for us to sort of slot him into that group of youngsters that we talked about. We, but did you know that there was more to Kevin? I mean, he, he, certainly there were more appearances. I mean, he, nearly twenty appearances in the Swindon shirt that season. But could could you see that there was a proper player in the making there? I think it's important that when you talk about Kevin Olick, you talk about, I mean, you talk about Paul Bowden having a wonder of a left foot. I mean, it wasn't even close to Kevin Olick's. Kevin Olick had an absolute wand. And, and, and it's important to remember also that, you, you know, in the with regard to percentage of right-footed players as against left-footed players within the English game, uh, you know, there was probably 10 to 1 right-footed players as against maybe more, uh, maybe a lot more, in fact. So if you were a left footer, you had a much better chance of being a, a, a top professional because there was there were few and far between. And if you had a wand of a left foot um, and a reasonably good football brain, as Kevin had, then there was a very good chance that you were going to succeed at some level in this game. Um, and I always say that, you know, if I could pick my son and, and pick what foot he would kick with, I would say, just give him a wand of a left foot. Mm. If you give him a wand of a left foot, he's got a, a much, much better chance of succeeding in the game. And and, and Kevin Erlock went on to prove that. Uh, you know, he had a good, career, very good career. Um, and there was things that maybe he didn't have. He didn't have, you know, he wasn't lightning quick. Um, and maybe that's why he got moved into the midfield, because defensively, you'll get more exposed for a lack of pace. Um, so it became less apparent when he moved into midfield, and um, and and because and he, he had a good touch and 
and and he was a good player, Kevin. Um, so it, no, it didn't surprise me that Kevin made uh, a good living in the game. Well, there's there's a player that you would have seen against Northampton, similar similar player in the current Swindon setup called Ellis Iandolo, Mickey. I don't know if you've given Ellis much attention, but almost identical for me. Um, I mean, for, first that is interesting because I've, I've said a lot on Twitter. The situation Swindon Town finds itself in in this current season actually is very similar to the season that you'll recall before we got promoted to the Premier League with the Leicester final and whatnot. We're almost yeah. in we're we're in a similar spot. And interestingly, there are lots of interesting parallels across our current squad and that squad that you're talking about. And Ellis Iandlo's a similar player, you know, typically kind of pigeonholed as a left back. We've slotted him into left centre midfield. Um, and he's, without a shadow of a doubt, he's going to go on and become one of our most influential players over the coming season. I've absolutely no doubt about it. Another player that you played alongside in um, in that Swindon midfield, of course, kind of came out of, of nowhere, initially rejoined the club, having had a, had a spell as a, as a young man, went off to Southend, was Martin Ling, came in on trial. What what were your immediate thoughts when when Lingy pitched up? Because I remember seeing his his first goal on his return. If I recall, it was a a cracker against Millwall at the county ground under the floodlights. But um, what can you tell us about about Lingy? Well, when Lingy arrived at the club, one you could see he had ability. You could see he was he was quite quick as well. Um, you could see he could run all day. I never thought he would have the physique um, to succeed at the certainly at the highest level anyway. And 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 sometimes the lower you go in that era, um, it became more physical. So I thought he would struggle physically. Uh, again, the, the system and style of play um, helped Martin develop into the player that he became um, because it, it, the physicality of the game became less important. Um, what, Mickey, you've gone very quiet, mate. Have I gone quiet? Oh, you're back now. I'm sorry. I I, I moved the phone a little bit further away. So, yeah, players like Martin were allowed to develop and flourish, again, because of the style of play that was preached at Swindon Town Football Club um, and by Glenn Oddle in particular, because it obviously he he didn't have to fight to get on the ball. The ball was fed to him through through the various uh, lines. Uh, and, and he got lots of the ball without having to uh, to, to kick bollock and bite to get it. Um, so that enabled him to flourish. And um, So all my fears when he first arrived, what a good player he is, uh, but is he physically going to be able to compete? My fears became unfounded because the system that we played, the style, that helped Martin to flourish and, and show off what a good player he really was. We, we, okay, so you talk about players that could compete. I'm just going to talk about a two-footed player that absolutely can compete, and I'm probably giving it away by saying the two-footed player. Ross McLaren, underrated somewhat by Swindon players, and often forgotten when we talk about the greats in Swindon in a Swindon Town shirt. 
What's um? What did you? So my my recollections were whenever there was a, an issue or Glenn took a knock, you always saw Ross sort of slot in and kind of fill that gap. Or whenever Glenn bombed on, you always saw Ross drop in and fill that gap. I mean, that in itself is is testament to what a decent player Ross was, isn't it? The fact that you know he was filling holes that were being left by the great Glenn Oddle. But what what were your recollections of Big Ross? Big Ross, number one, incredibly incredible character. Um, someone who was a ready-made captain if Colin wasn't around captain on the basis that totally different to Colin in that if he needed to rook you he would rook you didn't matter who you were um, I had a few run-ins with Ross absolute great character loved them really good friend of mine when I was playing for Swindon unbelievable range of pass um, that's why he fitted into um, um, Glenn's uh, way of you know if Glenn was injured Ross just slipped back there and uh, and he could ping it all over to show either foot. Um, really, really good player, hard, um, good in the air, good tackler, uh, bit big. And on a, I mean, my everlasting me lasting memory of Ross McLaren, you don't mind me saying, <laughs> and I do find it funny, was that every Friday um, after training, um, we would go back to the... The, I think it was the Holiday Inn Hotel. Because mm -hmm. um, Ross was a little bit heavy. Uh, so we would <laughs> go back to um, the hotel and we'd go and Ross would put a sauna suit on and go and sit in the sauna for half an hour to lose some weight. <laughs> Before the game on a Saturday. It was hilarious, honestly. Um, so he would be sitting in this sauna for half an hour. Sometimes he'd ride a bike in there. You know, uh, <laughs> so that so that he'd be in a really good weight um, when we got to the the match on a Saturday. Um, but what a good player! Um, yeah, I have to say that he purred, uh, didn't he? And and again, Glenn, 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 Mickey Glenn was always very clear about what Ross brought to the team. Was similar to you, similar to Martin. Very different physique, as you say, different type of player. But the key was his, the fact that he had two two very, very good feet. Like, he could go both ways. And, and that was a key thing about that whole spine of the team, wasn't it? Yeah. I, 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 you know, I mean, we were very blessed with two-footed players. Glenn was incredibly two-footed. I was incredibly two-footed. John Moncur was incredibly two-footed. Um, in, in a very skillful way also. Not just in a passing range, but in... In, in that we could do skills and beat players with either foot, John Moncur, Glenn and myself. And, but then you had Ross, whose range of pass with either foot was equally as good as ours. Um, while he didn't have the, he wasn't agile enough to have that ability to dance past players with either foot. But he would, he would use both his, his, his technique on both feet um, to, in fact, I'll go as far as to say that um, Ross McLaren, if he'd, had, if he'd had less problems with his weight, and was more nimble uh, and a bit quicker, Ross would have been a top, 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 top. And I mean a top, top player. Uh, playing for a top, top club. Uh, he was that good a footballer and he had that good a range of pass. Uh, but, you know, I always say that when, when God makes a footballer, he doesn't just make a footballer and say, right, he's got no flaws. God gives you flaws as well as talents. And, and I look at myself and I see, right, okay. He gave me lots of talent, very gifted in both feet. I could dribble, I could pass, I could do skills, I could see the pass. I had vision, awareness. 
but he gave me flaws. Uh, and one of the flaws was my sort of rebelliousness to, to, to like in any style of playing other than the beautiful game. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what you, what you achieve is how you cope with your flaws, not how you handle your success, you know, your, your talents. Yeah. And I didn't handle my flaws very well because I only wanted to play one way. So I would rebel against playing any other way. Uh, so I never conquered that flaw in my old career. Maybe later on down the line, I, I learned that if I wasn't having a great game on the ball, I still had a role to play. I, I could still be, uh, you know, if I'm great on the ball, I'm going to be a nine, nine and a half out of 10. But if I was having a stinker on the ball, I'd be a five out of 10. Whereas uh, towards the end of my career, if I was having a, a bad one on the ball, I could still be a seven and a half out of 10 by the work and, and the effort and the, uh, the, the the other side of the game that I added yeah. to the game. So um, if I'd learned that when I was younger, maybe I would have fulfilled my talents. Um, but unfortunately, that rebelliousness, that, that flaw that God gave me, um, I didn't overcome. And, and, and the same with Ross. Ross had that weight problem. He had that nimbleness problem. Um, and whether he could have conquered, conquered it or not, I don't know. But if he did, I certainly would have been a top, top player at a top club. So you're talking about God giving us giving us flaws and God giving us sort of, you know, certain certain gifts. Well, the, the next player I want to talk to you about, 23 gifts he gave us that season. But God, if God could create great goals and great sounding goals, Vicky, then he gave that gift to a certain Craig Maskell. Now, here's the question for you. You were on the bench at the time Craig Maskell scored his opener at Wembley. I want to know whether you heard the thud off the post from the bench, just like I did in the stand. No, I couldn't remember that. <laughs> I couldn't remember anyway. I didn't even know he got the first goal. Um, the thing was that I'd, I'd sort of had a cartilage operation towards the end of the season. Mm. Um, and every time I played or I trained, my knee would swell up. Um, because I'd never really, I was so desperate to get back playing that I never really did put the work in building my uh, thigh back up to protect, take the stress off my knee. So, uh, if I played a game like when we played at Birmingham away, uh, one six four, um, you know, for two days later, I was sort of icing my knee, trying to get it back down to some, you know. So, um, I was incredibly disappointed to miss out on the biggest game of. Uh, the Swindon, my Swindon era, because obviously my knee, you know, Glenn pulled me and he said, look, Mick, you know, you, you're struggling with your knee still. Um, you know, and, and I, I was more than fine with it, you know, never, never complained. I wanted to play, desperate to play. Um, but I appreciated that the, the knee was causing me problems. And, um, and sometimes I was, wasn't as maybe as mobile as I could be. Um, so, uh, Sorry, what was the question? No, so we were talking about Craig Maskell. So Maskell yeah. is Craig. Craig is is yeah. or the goal itself. I mean, Craig is is definitely remembered as one of the greats at Swindon. He scored an awful lot of goals that season. He did, uh, and and actually, before he moved on to Southampton, when we got up to the Prem, he was he was respectable, but you could see it was probably a level too far for him. But his his movement and his finish for the second it was the second goal that day. So Glenn had obviously opened the scoring. 
And then John John's play, John Moncur's played Craig Maskell in, and Craig has arrowed the ball in at the top right-hand corner across Kevin Paul. And it is the most glorious thud off the post that I think I've ever heard in football. But um, but you're saying, look, obviously from your from your vantage point, it's something that just it it just doesn't really figure. It's not something that well, you know. I, I think because you sort of you're jumping off your seat, um, <laughs> you're celebrating, so um, you're not you're not fully aware of really what you're doing, really, or or, or your surroundings. You're just celebrating. You know, but Craig yeah. Maskell, for instance, he was a brilliant finisher, Craig. Uh, and, and when I, if I was to liken Craig to anybody, I would liken them to Gary Lineker, a lesser version of Gary Lineker, obviously. Um, but when I watch Gary Lineker play, you could almost say, hardly see him. He'd be very quiet. And then all of a sudden he's got two goals. And that was Craig Maskell. He never played a massive part in the in the role of the team play, but you put a chance into him and it was in the back of the net. He rarely mm. fluffed it. Uh, he was a brilliant finisher. Again, he had a great left foot, uh, but he was a brilliant finisher. His movement, his, his awareness of the space, um, you know, for a midfielder like myself or like Glenn, he, he, he knew where he wanted to be and you knew where he was going and it was much easier to play the pass and, and obviously... Um, if you put that ball where he wanted it, it was in the back of the net, simple as that. Um, so he reminded me of Lineker, a, a lesser version of Lineker, but but yeah, impact that they, just, as they, you say, beautiful, beautiful finisher. And now, interestingly, so the season before when we had lost Big Duncan. Glenn had gone back to your old club and bought in Terry Gibson, hoping that Gibbo was going to relive some former glories and bring goals to the team. Didn't quite work. And then at the start of this season, he bought a relative unknown in from Chelsea Reserves, Dave Mitchell, who on arrival, I was convinced was Eric Clapton. <laughs> now, you, you tell me, Mickey, about Dave Mitchell, because from what I understand, quite a character. Australian international, but as Colin Calder would also like to tease him about, he was also he was he was convinced he was a Scotsman. So, what? What? Tell me about Mitch because I'm told he was a larger than life character. He's quite 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 a lad in the dressing room. To be honest, I always thought Dave Mitchell was Scottish, um, <laughs> but I, I was with them at Chelsea in Chelsea Reserve. Dave Mitchell had phenomenal pace, uh, and um, Dave was a good lad. Um, and another player that really. Um, could have made more of his career because he was, when you've got that type of pace and you're a centre forward, it's scary. You know, I always remember him getting the three goals at Birmingham when we come back to win 6-4. Um, you know, and Mitch um, often was a key cog. And not many people are probably aware of this fact or not many people who don't understand football. Um, Mitch was a cog in our team because his pace scared defences, okay? So that then made defences drop deeper, which then created the space in the midfield for the likes of Moncur, me, um, Odell. Um, so we would have more space to play because of their fear of his pace. Mm. Um, so he was quite an important cog. Without, without any involvement whatsoever in the game, he would, he would create space for the likes of us to, to flourish because... They were afraid of him. 
Um, and he was a great foil for Maskell because Maskell wasn't particularly quick. Duncan Shearer wasn't particularly quick. So Mitch became a great foil and, and probably played a part. Forget the goals that he scored. He probably played a part in helping the Shearers of this world, the Steve Whites of this world and the Craig Maskells of this world score a lot of goals because opposition defences were afraid of his pace. Um, so consequently, yeah. were more worried about the space in behind than actually picking up the players that they needed to pick up. So uh, Mitch uh, played an important role in helping that team be uh, played with the, the, the quality that it played with uh, yeah. because of his pace. Because Jan Fortov, Fjortov, for instance, a little bit later, didn't have pace to run in behind. Duncan didn't have the pace to run in behind. The, theirs was more clever movement. But Mitchell could just bomb in behind Dave and 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 once he was on a road, you just couldn't you couldn't stay with him. He was that quick um, and got goals. But I'm I'm certain that he was a a more important cog in the team than than actually was credited at the time because of his pace. As I, as I think actually bore bore out in the Premier League, uh, although. I mean, he left for, you know, the, the fee that we got for him was buttons, just like the fee that we paid for him when he when he joined. But the impact on, in terms of losing him from the team, I think was, I think it, with with time, people reflect back on our season in the Premier League. And he's one of the names that comes up relatively quickly. What might have happened if we kept a Colin, if we kept a Dave Mitchell? It's And it's 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 nice that, that, that time's been, been kind to him because, you know, I, I always a player that I massively, Rated massively, rated never, never. You never got the impression. Oh, yeah, the whole size of a lion as well. Yeah, yeah. His heart was massive. He would run and run and run all day long. He would compete. Uh, He never gave up. He he was a good player, Dave Mitchell, and particularly in that team, um, because we had so many good ball players, um, that and so so many creative players for a, a small club like Swindon. Um, that we needed someone to be able to make those runs to benefit the, the, the flair creative players that we had. Um, and Dave Mitchell was that boy. So what was, so to, to what we talked about never, never having anyone join the club that felt like a threat to you. The next guy I'm going to bring up, when we signed Johnny Monker, Mickey, I thought that he was going to be a lad that was going to put the, the heat under you, having not really understood the kind of player that John Moncur was. What, um, you would have obviously been aware of him, I'm guessing, from your time at Spurs. What what was your um, what were your views when we signed him? Um, well, he was a good player. I mean, when John was 12 years of age, I tipped him for the top. Uh, I mean, he was very, very talented as a youngster. And, and, and uh, it surprised me that he never broke through at Spurs. Uh, because Spurs were going through a, a relative era of sort of quietness um, when John was sort of 20, 21, 22. 20, and really, with the talent he had, he should have broke through at Spurs. Um, but I never, doubted, I never doubted that he would go on and make a, a name for himself in the game and, and, and stay in the game over a long period of time because you don't have that type of talent. And not make, he was two-footed, he, he could... He had skill. He had a nasty streak inside of him. You know, he wasn't hard. He wasn't a great tackler, but he had a streak that he, he would do you if he needed to. Um, so, very good player, John. Did I consider him a threat? No, nope. not one bit. I, f- I always felt that 
John will be miles better in the, if with me if, with me in the team. He needed someone to feed him. I was sort of closest one to him who could feed him, as did Martin Ling. So I was probably the playmaker of the team who would get on the ball more than anyone else uh, and, and bring other people into the game. Um, so, yeah, I never considered John or Martin threats to me. Um, I have to be honest there, and I'm not being conceited or beginning. I'm not. I'm being honest. Um, my... I felt my only threat was my age. Um, mm. That one day would catch up with me. Um, and as long as I stayed fit and didn't get injured, I felt like I could play for a good few years. Uh, but then, in you know, I left Swindon and went back to Spurs. And, and it was a Donald playing in the Premier League, I've got to be honest. But I yeah. then got started to pick up a few injuries. And, and I got a couple of really bad ones. And it it took me... A lot longer than I needed to recover, and then when I recovered, I got injured straight away. And, and I, I maintain to this day that if I'd have never got those two injuries, I could have played till I was 37, 38, no problem. But mm. once I got those injuries, I started to pick up injury on injury because my body, obviously, in the six-week period that I was out, and then when I come back, I got another six weeks. So I was out 12 weeks. Uh, my body obviously was getting weaker. I'd lost a bit of fitness and sharpness. So I was always struggling to regain um, the, 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 the pace of the game that I needed at that age. I was coming up to 36. Um, and that's when I decided I was offered a two-year contract by Birmingham and I turned it down because I, I didn't want the travelling backwards and forwards to Birmingham anymore. Um, and I'd just gone through a period of injury. But but Monker was always going to be a better player with me in the side. Um, I think he will um, tell you that as well. Um, and, and, and with Glenn, Moncur and me in the side, we had three flair, creative players who could who had the key to the door. We could unlock the door. Um, and obviously, when you're in the amount of possession that that Swinon team would have, um, teams would be very defensive against us. So you yeah. always need someone who could unlock the door, um, who could see that either the needle pass and open it up or produce some magic himself. Uh, and we were fortunate at Swindon that we had Glenn, myself and John Moncur who could do it. Well, now, OK, so the next player, Mickey, we're down to our last three that I'm going to talk to you about, right? But the next player kind of touches on something you mentioned earlier about lads and dads in football and, and how difficult it can be, you know, uh, if, if, say, for example, the dad is the manager of the team. Now, this this player wasn't burdened with that, but nonetheless, he was burdened by the fact that his dad was, both in Swindon terms and then in his greater career terms, greatness. Mike Summerby, of course, his son, Nicky. So the great David Kerslake moves off to Leeds United for a million-odd quid, and that leaves a, a window of opportunity on the right-hand side, and in comes Buzzer. Now, what... what <laughs> You know, talk me through it. I mean, did he? Because he, to me, he just seemed to take to that like a duck to water. It was almost like, well, we we know he's good enough to do it. And um, was it like that behind the scenes? Did you guys all have faith that Buzzer was ready to step up? Um, it's a great question. Uh, was I sure? No, because at the time of watching him in training and watching him in the reserves, he wasn't a right fullback. I think the decision to move him to right fullback was a genius decision. Uh, and I really felt like 
that sort of gave them the time to flourish. Um, it gave them the space and the time on the ball uh, to adjust to the, the, the pace of that level um, and, and it enabled them to grow and become a player that eventually got a move to Manchester City, where his dad had obviously been successful. Um, but well, Mickey, again, do you know, sorry to interrupt, but it is that point, isn't it? Like, the crazy thing about Nicky is he had to step out of his dad's shadow at Swindon because his dad's a legend at our place. And yeah. then he's gone and done it again at Man City. Now, surely, if that is greatness personified, that's got to be an indicator of it. What mental strength that kid must have had to be able to do that at both well, clubs, where his dad raised the bar at both clubs. I'm not so sure it's mental strength, to be honest. If you know Nicky as, as, as I'd got to know him very, very well, and I'm sure maybe you did too, I, 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 I think that Nicky was probably oblivious to the fact that his son was a superstar. At, sorry, his dad was a superstar at Swindon, superstar at Manchester City. He uh, was that sort of laid-back character who um, I genuinely believe that he hadn't given that a thought. Um, <laughs> You're not, being kind, Mickey, aren't you? You're being very kind. I, I'm, I'm trying to be kind to Nicky. <laughs> Um, because I genuinely believe it wasn't mental strength that enabled him to, 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 to cope with that. I genuinely believe that he was oblivious to it. Uh, he was that character who was a sort of... Um, <laughs> he was a really funny, naturally funny character. I loved him to bits. I had many a good time with Nicky. And, and, and um, he was... Uh, this is not... I'm, I'm not being critical of him, but he, was, he almost bordered on sometimes, you know, like... Um, duh. <laughs> he's not like that he's actually quite an intelligent boy but he was he sort of gave off that impression that laid back character who didn't really think about what was going on all around him, around him so therefore mm. wouldn't be aware of of, of what um, his dad had achieved at either club um, so consequently it made life so much easier for him to be a success within his own right, without the fear of living in his dad's shadow. Yeah, and it must I have been, it must have all, you know, it must have actually been easier for him at, with that mindset as well, to not be overawed by being oh, managed absolutely. by, by someone hope, like Glenn Hoddle. Yeah, I hope I've explained that well, because I don't mean that that Mickey's um, thick no, no, or, no, you've, or you've, stupid. Uh, yeah, you've made, you've made perfect stupid sense. in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Uh, not in the slightest. What I mean was he had that, that temperament or, or that personality that maybe he chose not to focus on it, chose not to, to ignore it, but he, he he almost felt like he probably wasn't even aware his dad was a footballer. Mm, <laughs> and mm. that's, that's yeah, somehow... Just, just, yeah, just sort of got on with it. Yes, that somehow helped Nicky achieve what he achieved because sometimes the burden of and the weight on your shoulders of your dad being... I know because my sons were really, really good footballers, but every time they played, it was, you know, they were like 14 years of age. And I hear people say, well, they're not as good as their dad, are they? Well, why would they be the 14? You're judging me as the finished article when I was winning trophies, UEFA Cup and FA Cup. 14-year-olds never going to be that good. Um, yeah. So they had to live with that all their young careers. Uh, mm. and, and maybe it became a burden for them in the end. I don't know, but I think it probably did. Uh, but mm. Nicky never had to endure that. Uh, because mm. not that people wouldn't say it, but Nicky probably wouldn't have heard them say it. Mm. 
Yeah, and, and to go back to my point about Glenn Hoddle, for example, you know, if you're of a particular mindset where, you know, you are going to be starstruck or you're going to be thinking about anything other than your game, you know, because I, I reflect on some of those youngsters that you were talking about um, that we, you know, we discussed right at the start of the show. Um, and, and I wonder how many of those youngsters would have benefited from having a mindset that was akin to Nicky. You know, where actually, listen, I'm just going to concentrate on my game, my business, just get my head down, forget that that's Glenn Hoddle over there, that's Mickey Hazard over there, that's, you know, Johnny Moncur over there. I'm just, I'm just going to just gonna get on with it. Uh, I'm going to be oblivious to it. Uh, you know, I, I wonder how many of those, because they, they were all the same kind of peer group that came up together. But if you look at the number of appearances, I mean, Nicky had over 40 appearances that season. You know, you compare that to, for example, you know, the, the peers of his, such as Wayne O'Sullivan's and Eddie Murray's, they didn't get near him, did they, really? No. And as you said uh, yourself, they were all like decent footballers. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on in, in that Nicky's uh, oblivious to it, oblivious to the fact that this is going on, the great, the greatest, one of the greatest, um, sort of helped them succeed. Um, he's oblivious uh, to, to his dad, he's, to who he was playing with. Um, in a, you know, he was playing with people who played at the top of the game and won trophies at the top of the game, and and yet was probably totally unaware that, of the people that had achieved this. And that is somehow that helped Nicky rather than hindered him. Uh, whereas maybe some of the other youngsters never got to grips with the fact that. Wow, this is Glen Oddle. I'm playing with Glen Oddle, one of the greatest. Um, mm. You know, uh, whereas Nicky um, sort of. It was he took it all in his stride, Ricky, didn't he? Yeah, he, he took it in his stride. He took it all in his stride. He was the same one yeah. the night out. We, we, sometimes <laughs> we went out together, me and Nicky, and, uh, and, and, and it was just like uh, whatever happened, happened. You know, yeah. there was no plan, there was no. Um, and he was great company. I loved him. Well, talk, talking about uh, that word love again, God, that came up quite a bit at the start of the show. But, OK, our penultimate player, Mickey, absolute colossus at the back, signed, as as we now know, out of Glenn Hoddle's own pocket, ooh, Sean Taylor. Now, what an absolute ledge at Swindon Town. The best header of a football I think I've ever seen in a red shirt for a start. But talking about taking it like a duck to water, when he first arrived, I remember going to see the pre-season friendly against Real Sociedad. And I remember thinking, blimey, like, this is just your, your, your bog standard lower league footballer. But by, by Christ, by the time Sean's time at Swindon Town came to an end, he'd really developed, for, for a guy that was further down the line in his career, he'd really developed his game on the floor as well. What were your recollections of Big Sean? Very much... Uh, you've described it, you know, when he arrived, he was out of water, he was being asked to do things that maybe were very foreign to him um, because he'd never played in a in a team that had played with this sort of fast, free-flowing football on the ground. Sean would have always been throughout his career, and, and I don't know, but I'm sure that Sean would have been asked to win his headers defensively at one end and in the other end, try and score a few goals in the box. Um Whereas when he came to Swindon, suddenly he was asked to, to perform on the floor as well and uh, to be part of uh, this uh, wonderful football that we played. Um, and just because that wasn't his game, um, there was, you know, you weren't allowed to get away with it. But in an in a odd sort of way, 
um, while it was the weakest part of Sean's game, in the week, in an odd way, the style that we preached, the style that we played, actually developed Sean so much quicker um, to become a colossus in defence. Winning headers both sides scored quite a lot of goals as well, important goals at both ends. He was brave as a lion. He had the art the size of a lion. Uh, but he developed so much over a period of time on the floor. Um, mm. And that's the beauty of um, the, the style that you preach as a manager. If you preach the wonderful flowing passing game, it involves all 11 players. And all 11 players uh, have to be um, responsible to receive the ball. They have to be able to receive it. They have to make angles to receive it. Uh, and that puts an onus on all 11 players to be available. So even if it's not your strength, you still expect it to make an angle. Because even if you make an angle and you don't get the ball, you might be occupying someone to stop you from getting the ball, which then creates space somewhere else for someone else. Um, so it was. Yes. it's important that all 11 players uh, within the framework of that style are wanting the ball and making angles to receive the ball. And Sean benefited massively, massively. I mean, the developing in Sean over a two-year period was colossal. I mean, it was absolutely colossal. Yeah. He went from being, he went from being someone who was absolutely amazing in the air and brave as a lion, but who couldn't, wasn't really that good on the floor. And he went from um, being that type of player to suddenly people were talking about him being a, 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 a cultured centre back. Yeah. You know? Um, yep. And that's credit to Sean because, you know, when you are used to playing one way uh, and then suddenly you're being asked to do something that's foreign to you, uh, it takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage to actually um, work hard to improve in that area, but also to keep showing and wanting the ball at all times. And credit where well, credit's due, he achieved that. And by the end, and rightly so, we will go down in, uh, in Swindon's history as one of their best ever centre-backs, no doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. Well, now, well, while we're talking about people that go down in history, Mickey, now we come to the final player on this squad list. I'm going to ask you to dissect for me tonight. A guy that has pretty much he scored goals at every single level for Swindon Town, and I'm it was it was amazing to see him also turn out and not do himself a massive disservice. Although he's always quite humble about what he did for us in the Premier League, but. I'm just going to ask you this one question about this guy because he was on with the supporters club last week and by, by Vic Morgan's own admission, this gentleman needs three, four shows given the amount of time he was at Swindon Town and the stories that he's got. So I'm just going to ask you one question. Wembley 93, did he dive Steve Chalky White? <laughs> Steve Chalky White. Was it a dive? White. Nothing Steve Chalky White ever did would surprise me. <laughs> I, have Very... say, I have to say, of all the players in my life that I feel, and there's very few, there's very few players that I feel in my lifetime that I played with fulfilled the maximum, the very maximum that they could achieve with the ability they had was Steve Jockey White and Gary Mabbitt. 
Gary Mullins wow. went on to become an absolute legend, right? And I've never known anybody fulfill his talents to the point of his maximum. And he's a, he goes down in history as one of Tottenham's probably 20 best ever players. And then you've got Steve Chalky yep. White, who did the same at Swindon. Um, wasn't wasn't the, the greatest player in the world in terms of ability, but God, he knew where he knew where the goal was. Heart, God, he was a winner. He had a heart the size of a lion, but he worked and worked and worked. He was the fittest player I've ever probably ever played with. Um, he worked and worked and worked, and he gave everything he had to maximise everything that he had. Mm-hmm. There wasn't one part of his game that he didn't maximise his potential. Um, I have the utmost yeah. admiration for him. Because some players, you know, Glenn the greatest player, one of the greatest players I've ever seen. And it's easy to talk about Glenn and say, oh, what a player, what a player. But then when you look at Glenn Odd, you say, well, Glenn, Glenn should have been the best player in the world. He was that great. He yeah. wasn't. He wasn't. But what a player. But then you look at someone like Steve White, who took every ounce of what he had and fulfilled it to its max. If you don't admire someone like that, then you're a mug. Yeah, well, we've actually over that. And I'll tell you what, Mickey, he, he, Chalky is revered at Swindon Town, but I would go so far as this. Chalky is arguably one of the top five most important players to have ever pulled on a shirt at Swindon Town Football Club. Not only for the, the sheer volume of goals that he scored and what he brought to the club in terms of his his willingness to engage with fans, uh, but it, it's the, the pivotal moments of which that, that Chalky stepped up. And, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, I, I, I kind of tongue-in-cheek ask you about the circumstances around the penalty in 93, but then we've got, you know, a few seasons prior, we've got two goals at Sellers Park that got that essentially just kept the momentum going and Swindon were rising up through the leagues. And, I mean, just an utter goal machine. I, you, I mean, you know, you talked about the game at um, Sunderland where you were in the stands, the Wembley game against Sunderland. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's very, very unlucky that day. You know, he's, he's missed a couple of absolute sitters. Yeah. On another day, he would have, you know, he, he would have just gobbled up. But, um a hugely influential character at Swindon oh, Town Football Club. No doubt. A character, um, one of the one of the strangest, greatest characters I've ever seen in the game. Um, nothing, nothing, and I mean nothing, no form of banter would ever get him down. No stick. You could shout at them as hard as you wanted to shout at them. Nothing would sway him from his job in hand in his head. He was an absolute inspiration to, as an example, if, if you're any kid looking on, then it's, it's easy to look at Glenn Oddle and say, I want to be Glenn Oddle, or I want to be Mickey Hazard, or I want to be whoever, as a Swindon fan. If you're, if you're looking on, as a, as a true inspiration, then look to Steve White and look no further because he fulfilled everything and more that his talents would allow him to fulfill. And as a youngster looking on, he's evidence and proof that you don't have to be the most talented player in the world to make it to, 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 to succeed. But what you have mm. to have, what you have to do, you have to have the desire, the passion, the will to succeed, um, and a certain amount of ability to score goals. Um, and 
use him as your example, as your shining light, because his attitude was as good an attitude as I've seen in any player I've ever played with in terms of his desire to succeed. If he wasn't in the team, you know, sometimes when I weren't in the team, I used to think, well, your loss, you'll be coming back for me soon when, when you need me, you know. But he wasn't. He would get out of the team and he'd probably spend six weeks out of the team. But he's, while he was out of the team, he was given 500% in training. He was mm. scoring goals and every time he scored a goal, he said, see, that's what you're missing on Saturday, you know. <laughs> the, the desire was just unbelievable. I have the utmost admiration um, for, for, for Steve Chalky White. Um, and that's saying that he's not my favourite type of player. You know, I'm the skillful, flair, creative players that I love. But as an inspiration, as a youngster looking on, you, Steve White, is your inspiration. Even if you're gifted and talented, uh, like Glenn Oddle, like Mickey Hazard. Because Mickey Hazard, with Steve White's desire and passion and attitude, I maybe would have had 100 England caps. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that would be... It would be interesting if we could... I mean, if it, you know, if it was a different time, you know, I, I would love to have seen Chalky sort of, you know, in the Jack Charlton era, discover some Irish heritage and end up getting himself a cap or two. His yeah. career, his career, good that's lad. probably the only thing that's really missing from his from his career is yeah, is that lad, international recognition. Ah. Well, listen, Mickey, that's that. That, that, that is our squad of 93. Now, I've had, there are two questions that I've been asked if I could kindly put to you. The first one is from Swindon Spartan has asked me to ask you, have you heard from Ozzy and how is he? Is he on the mend? Because we're all thinking spoke about to, it. Spoke to Ozzy today. He's out, he's out of hospital. He's at home. He's resting. He's in no pain whatsoever, although very fatigued because he obviously had a serious heart operation. Uh, he's in mm. great spirits. Um, he was joking about playing golf and I said, oh, well, Oz, if you want to play golf, we're playing tomorrow. You know, we only got out of hospital on Monday. Um, so he's doing really well. He's in no pain. Um, obviously, he's got a period of uh, recovery now and rest. Um, but absolute operation was a massive success. Um, and we're really, really pleased with his progress. And as I said, I spoke to him today. Uh, and he said he can't believe that, you know, he's in no pain whatsoever. So, brilliant news. Uh, it is wonderful news. Well, look, please do send in my best regards and that. And we that will do. connected with our football club, Mickey. He's, as, as you will know, I don't need to tell you, he's hugely, hugely well regarded, still in SM1. Um, and yeah, we send in nothing but love and best wishes for a speedy recovery. The other question I've been asked to uh, pose to you is from Sid on Twitter who was asked, what are your thoughts on the current Swindon Town lineup, and do you think we're going to get promoted this season? Um, do you want me to lie, or do you want me to tell the truth? You tell the truth, Mickey. I don't really know too much about the Swindon team, to be honest. <laughs> um, I've been invited down to a game by, I think, one of the... Is it the new commercial manager? And she invited me to the Manchester City game, but unfortunately... And my partner got COVID, so I had to miss it. Um, and I'm, she's asked, strangely enough, a couple of days ago if I'd be happy to come down and do a game soon. Um, so I, I said, yes, I'm more than happy to do it. Uh, but other than that, I don't know too much about it. I don't know how good they are. I saw them at Northampton this season. They looked a really good side. I liked uh, what the manager was trying to preach, the, 
the, the, the style. He was playing it through the lines. He was playing it on the floor. They played very well at Northampton and could have easily won that game. I, don't think, I think it was a 1-1 draw. Um, but I was very impressed with Swindon that day. So um, I don't know whether they're going to get promotion or not. I hope so, because I love... Swindon is, um, you know, Tottenham was my first love, but Swindon was possibly um, as good as... I had an absolutely fantastic time at Swindon. It was a beautiful family club that was fitted in well with my personality, my my character. I loved my time there. I loved the... I loved living down there for the three years I was there. Um, I had a wonderful time. I lived in Marlborough. Um, I had a, a a really nice time. I have nothing but fond, happy memories of my time at Swindon. Uh, and I won't have a bad word said about the club um, because it was a, a really lovely sort of twilight to my career, if you like. Um, but I can't comment as, with a regard to whether we're going to, because I've not seen enough of them to say whether they will or they won't or whether the good or the bad the one game that I did see them I was very impressed uh, but that's not enough to make a judgment on whether they will or won't get promotion yeah well Ricky like I said to you earlier in the show I think if you cast your mind about the Swindon Town 91-92 the season when Duncan Shearer could have gone on to smash goal scoring records we we're in a similar kind of spot with some of the same problems and except we, except, you know, except, except the, there's a big difference in that in that season, um, the, the the problem within the club at that time, we had a team more than capable to get promotion. Um, but the financial irregularities of the season before, when they got relegated, that was a hangover. They left a big hangover with, with in and around the club. Uh, and it was almost like not going to affect uh, the, the, the mentality of the, the being demoted for financial irregularities had an impact on the performances of the team the following season uh, and it led to a season whereby it was uh, very very difficult to perform performing in the end as he left it was it was a tough year that year so the team today hasn't really got that problem um or that men mental sort of block if you like uh, subconsciously i mean i wasn't aware of it but obviously all the other players players were part of it they experienced it more than i did but i was aware of what they were feeling mm. I think the, the issue that we've got this year, there are actually similarities, Mickey, off the back of, whilst we haven't got an enforced demotion, we are under transfer embargoes. Um, there has been a change of ownership. The future's looking brighter. And I think from a playing point of view, I think the parallel I would draw this season versus 91-92 is that you could see that the, the model's not quite complete. So I personally... You know, I, 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 we, it's all, still all to play for and we're within touching distance of the playoffs. But I've got a feeling it'll, it'll end up going like 91-92 and next season we're going to do something really special. So, so keep them peeled, Mickey. Listen, Mickey, the only thing that I wanted to kind of finish on in a nice circular narrative, as I like to do, is just take you back to what I said at the start. Listen, on a, on a personal level, mate, if there's no Mickey Hazard, there's no me, there's no Mark Hanrahan enjoying his, his football. You know, I I can't thank you enough. You've had the, the most wonderful career. There are many things you've been very humble about and you've talked about in terms of um, what might have been in relation to your career. 
But I know I'm not alone. And I know there are thousands of Spurs and Swindon Town fans in particular that think similar things to me. Um, you're, a, you're an absolute inspiration. You're a wonderful footballer, but you're also a fine, fine human being. And uh, I mean, I've not even had to talk to you about the amount of time we've taken up with you tonight. You, you're an incredibly generous spirit. You love talking football. And, and uh, there's so much more that I could have gone on and talked to you about. I, I hope you won't be a stranger, mate, and you'll come back on at some point. And oh, absolutely. Whether that's answering the darkest of dark questions. Can I just say before before we part? Of um, course. You know, I was brought up by my parents to be kind, to be caring, um, and to help others. Um, Two reasons. One, because there's people out there far worse off than we are. Um, And kindness is the route to a better world. Um, But also, one day down the line, I might need someone to be kind to me when I'm struggling. Um, So it it sort of works in circles. If we're all kind uh, as we go along, you know, everything that we do in our lives, kindness, we're kind to someone, we care for someone, we smile at someone, it'll all be reciprocated one day. One day someone will be kind to us, one day someone will care for us, one day someone will smile at us. So um, that's my outlook on life. I try to help as many people as I can. I don't, I don't broadcast it. I don't publicise a lot of the work that I do because I don't, I don't need to. It's I'm doing it because I want to do it because my parents brought me up to do it. Um, there's no need to broadcast it. Some things have to be broadcast. If you want to raise funds, then you need to put it out there to get people to donate. Um, but in general, you know, the, the kinder we are as as people the kind of world we will live in. And that's how I've tried to live my life. Well, Mickey, you, you, you're certainly doing that and somebody. As I say, you, you are, you're royalty to our show, bud. You've got an open invite to come back anytime. And, anytime and, you, and, you, and you are much missed down at Swindon Town, Mickey, as well. Don't be, don't be a stranger. Although next time you and I cross paths playing charity football matches, I won't let you warm me up and I won't let you ping 30-yard free kicks into the top corner <laughs> and embarrass me in front of the you town. You won't have a choice. <laughs> right, look, Mickey, Tyler and I are going to end up, we're going to now t- start talking about Harrogate and Swindon Town over the Easter period, mate. You are more than welcome to hang around, but equally, you're more than happy to slip off. And, and Guys, please do come back at some point. It has been absolutely yeah, I will do anytime you need me. Just give me a call. Guys, it's been a pleasure on the show. I've loved it. Tell all the people who are listening, thank you for listening in. And hopefully I'll see you down at the town one day pretty soon. Let's hope you're right, Mickey. Take good care, buddy. Thanks for everything. See you soon, guys. Bye. Tell up, buddy. Bye. Right, Tyler. I mean, where do do you start? I mean, some of the players that we've talked about and some of the experiences that you you hear Mickey sort of talking about there, I mean, it's proper legendary stuff, isn't it? What did you make of it all? I mean... As, as usual, you that, in those sort of segments, you don't tend to get a word in edgeways. A, because we're talking about something that was way before your time as a supporter. But but B, just you could literally wind Mickey up and just listen to him all night, couldn't you? Comments more winding you up, but, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I, for those sort of ones, I, I do just tend to sit back and, and let you have, have your waffle away because... Uh, the Charlie Austin one meant a lot to me because obviously he's my first football idol, whereas Mickey Hazard means a lot to you because he's one of the ones who sort of got you into football. So it's one of them. We, we take it in turns. 
Yeah, I mean, it just, it's, I'll tell you, the, the, the funny thing about Mickey Hazard, I mean, it, it really, really is a fascinating career because he, I mean, I, like I said, I grew up in a house full of Tottenham Hotspur supporters and it was my family in Swindon that sort of lured me down to SM1 to watch football and I, and I never looked back after my first, like, my first live experience. But um, Mickey Hazard was one of those players that I just remember being like a dazzling, dazzling footballer on the deck in an era of very direct, very kind of like gritty England football. So in the same way that people talk about Glenn Hoddle only getting 56 England caps and that being an absolute travesty, the fact that Mickey Hazard, you know, hardly figured for England, um, despite the fact that he was, you know, capped right the way through all the levels. I mean, that in itself was a travesty, but I, I never forget when we signed him. So we signed him a, a couple, essentially, if I recall, a couple of months before uh, the great Alan McLaughlin left for a million quid to Southampton. And, and I remember thinking, God, that's a, you know, that's, I mean, it, when, when, when Macca left, I was like, well, there's the, there's the kind of ready-made replacement, but it, it was a very, very different type of footballer. Very, very different. But, just the things that that guy couldn't do when he had the ball at his feet. But the issue that he had were the players around him. And then as the seasons progressed and we moved on to 91, 92, and then the 92, 93 season, he was suddenly surrounded by these incredible two-footed footballers who he could give the ball to, get it back. They could like some of the intricate passing and moving. I mean, that it really... I mean, I, I said to someone earlier today on Twitter, I think it was Tans on Twitter today, I just said, look, I wish... I could have had that era of supporting again because I wasn't too much younger than what you are now, and I I wish I could look at look look at that football again for a forty five year old's eyes and really appreciate it and understand the context of it. I guess particularly off the back of you know the best part of the last sort of you know twenty five odd years that ain't let's be honest they ain't been that great with the with the odd exception here and there, but I mean you you really are talking about. Whenever there would be a televised Swindon game, I remember a very famous like, FA Cup match against Aston Villa, and all of the commentary was around the fact that Swindon were famed for a certain style of football. Mickey pretty much represented that style of football. You know, we, we became revered for being, um, you know, innovators at that time. Um, and, you know, obviously, anyone that's read Glenn Hoddle's book will hopefully pick up on the fact that you know, he even when he was an England manager, he was an innovator when it came to tactics. And Rio Ferdinand has really talked that up, you know, when he was rising up through the England team, how he benefited. And I mean, just but I mean, what an era. I mean, that the Tottenham the Tottenham team of the early eighties through to the late eighties was the, you know, whilst it was a little bit like watching a mere calm box with a glass jaw, um, they were just dazzling to watch and yet I mean to have midfielders of the Ilka Glenodd and Mickey Hazard pulling the strings in the same side I mean wow like but as I say victim, victims of an era so um, but um, well hopefully you enjoyed that hopefully you enjoyed that so I'm, I'm sure people are going to enjoy listening to, to Mickey's input on what was arguably our you know our, our greatest side in living memory that took us up to the Premier League but um, we step away from that and we start. Let's have a let's have a quick chat about what we've got to look forward to over the Easter period, mate. So you got your, your tickets in the bag for Friday. How are you feeling? Excited. I'm always excited, Mark. You know this. I, I bought. Well, I say I bought. Um, mate asked me if I wanted to do Hartlepool in a couple of weeks. So I said if he buys my ticket, I'll do it. So I'm off to Hartlepool now as well. 
Oh, very nice too. So we've got a new ground to look forward to, haven't we, over the Easter period? So you've got it in the bag. I noticed today on the WhatsApp group, you've got your travel plans um, bolted on. What's, um, it, there's been some talk of um, Harry McCurdy being being back and back in earnest. Um, do you think we're going to see him back or do you think we're going to see him on the bench for Friday? Do you... I think it'll be a bench job on Friday, 20 minutes or so in the legs and then the big return Monday. Yeah, now I'm I'm going into, I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty optimistic about Friday, to be totally frank. I think I've been banging on about um, rhythm and fitness and and getting getting those things turned. I mean, we we spoke to Johnny Smith, Dad, didn't we, about this um, two three weeks ago now, about when you've got quality players returning from injury that you know sometimes it takes three four games to them to go up, you know, get up through the gears. And I, I, I I'm I'm of the opinion that that's what we saw from Louis Barry in our last game, where it just wasn't really happening for him in front of goal. Got in some really good positions, but the end product wasn't quite there. I still I think obviously we lost Tomlinson with cramp. That's obviously a big indicator of you know a lacking lacking fitness. Um, I, I've got. I'm hoping it just clicks for Friday, so I'm feeling fairly optimistic. We won't go into massive depth, just given the time and and the fact that um, it is so very very late. But what are you what are you thinking predictions wise? And I don't want you. I don't want your usual four 0 I want a proper proper input on this one. What do you think we're going to be doing Friday? I think we're going to see a change in shape. I think we're going to drop four three three. I think we're going to go back to. Back to the three-five-two. See if we can get that one to work. Uh, really stretch the game. I think we're going to see Egbo get his first start as the right wing back. We're going to tuck Huntley in. Uh, Davidson will be up top with with uh, Elbaz, and I think we'll win three-nil with a Davidson goal. And it's going to happen. I'm going to say Ellis and Egbo. <laughs> <laughs> announced tattoo. Yes, that's going to definitely happen. So you don't think, um, so the change to five at the back, I think a few people have been saying that this week. Do you think we're going to see Jake O'Brien slot back in? I mean, because obviously the two centre-backs on Saturday came in for a little bit of criticism. Unfair in some quarters, but not so in others, depending on which which way you're looking at it. Um, it obviously, you're going to be bringing it, if you <laughs> I mean, if anything, you would think that going to three centre halves it would be a positive move, and you would keep the two of the two of them in there, both Conroy and Bowbury. But you've got Jake O'Brien champion at the bit as well now. Um, do you see him slotting back in at the weekend? And if so, who for? He should. So should Akin. I mean, it's nothing against Dion and Frenchy because, to be fair to him, they they've been been all right recently. But Frenchy's openly come out really and and said that he's going to retire end of the year. So, why why put game time into him when you've got Akin sat there, who we put near enough two years of development into, who at this rate's not playing. And he's just going to say, "All right, then I'll walk for free at the end of the season, go somewhere new." And then you've got O'Brien, who's a young chap we got on loan from Palace, and he can't get a sniff. So for for me, I'd, I'd start Hunty on the on the left, Akin on the right, and the massive tree of a human being in the middle now my only consideration to you would be one of rhythm consistency consistency stability that would be my only note of caution but like you i am of a mindset where i'd like to see 
um, O'Brien. I'd like to see Akin get minutes. I'm thinking, in terms of prediction-wise, um, I don't think it's uh, going to be a cakewalk. I think Harrogate are one of those sides, you, you never know what you're getting. Um, yeah, I've got a sneaky feeling we'll we'll just take a tidy 2 0 um, and I think it'll be Davison at the double. Um, and I think both assists are going to come from Louis Barry. So watch this space. Um, anything anything else of note? Um, should we read into the fact that I was going to be a little bit devilish and ask you this question? Should we read into the fact that Jojo Woolacott didn't turn up at the official supporters club um, on the sofa event on Monday? Was that I missed the first 10 minutes? Was it explained away? Or is this more conversation about, you know, not necessarily wanting to court any questions or conversation about his future? Um, I don't even think it's anything to do with his future. I think it was more, and, and I know Vic's not the sort to have, to have done it. Um, it's more, he really did make a bit of a rash mistake at the weekend in a big game. And so it's it's more sort of like facing the cameras after that sort of thing. I feel like maybe Andrew or, or whoever's doing the media sort, sort of had a word in his ear and sort of said, maybe it's best you, you don't do that. Yeah, just keep, keep, it, keep him out of the limelight. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. And for all the reasons we've discussed on previous shows, I'd still be... I'm still foolhardy and maybe a bit naive, but I'm still optimistic that we're going to see Jojo in a Swindon Town shirt next season, uh, albeit a lot will depend on what happens over the coming six games. Um, right then, Tyler, listen, a little bit of shameless promotion for your and my activities then uh, for the Hardy listeners that are still with us this time of night. We've got a busy week coming up, mate, haven't we, next week? We've got... Um, well, do you, do you want to talk about what we're going to be doing in relation to the inaugural Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge Awards, Tyler? Well, it's on the 20th, I believe. Correct. Uh, it'll be live from, from the kit room at the county ground. Um, we'll have some of the players popping in to, to claim their awards. I think there's about 15 or so, maybe maybe a bit more than that, actually. But around that many awards being being given out to, to the boys. And it's, it's just our, our sort of style of awards night rather than a big do like the supporters club do it's a bit it's a bit more bit more underground sort of 606 bit, as you'd word it a little bit edgy tyler is what you try to say we're a little bit edgy, yeah, aren't we? yeah we're a little bit there a little is, bit edgy but nonetheless there hey listen i mean i think you and i have both said in recent weeks tyler we've been we've been blown away by the progress our wee little show as um as made and some of the numbers that we've been drawing from an audience point of view have attracted some um, plenty of attention from um from supporters but also partners as well we're delighted for the awards to be partnering with um dan designs um who is a key partner for us going into those awards and also um kevin and amy metcalf of verilogic a long-standing supporter of the club are also on board as a principal partner of the awards um are playing a huge role in helping us get the awards together um and the club have been brilliantly supportive as well in terms of giving us that access um so we look forward to the awards that are going to be on the 20th and um, we look forward to the night before the awards. We've got none other than Swindon Town legend Paul Caddis joining us. Um, a la, um, a la Mickey, um, Cads is going to be coming on board um, and 
he is going to be fielding everything from your silly questions to um, also talking about um, incredible promotion season under Paolo Di Canio um, and doing his insides, uh, inside story on that season as well. So we very much look forward to welcoming uh, Paul Caddis next week as well. So you're getting double bubble next week, the awards and a, a Swindon Town legend as well. So we very much look forward to welcoming Paul to the show. So get your questions ready because there's one criticism of the Swindon Town public is you're all a bit shy in terms of coming on this show. And that was always meant to be the spirit of our show. We think there's a real gap in the Swindon Town content market for high quality phone-ins. And we want to make sure that, um, you know, that we're an outlet for that. And given we're after the watershed, people aren't don't tend to be too worried about uh, needing to duck questions. Um, Tyler, aside from that, as you all know, we've got a whole host of people lined up after the awards and Paul Gaddis, and we'll be talking more about that in the coming couple of weeks, but it's going to be a busy few weeks for us leading up to the end of the season. But I think, Tyler, tonight, unless you've got anything to add, mate, we will draw a close to the proceedings. No, I'm, I've got nothing else to say other than up the town and up my flat cup. <laughs> <laughs> old town yes old town athletic ladies and gentlemen get on them on twitter um tyler it's been a pleasure mate thanks for keeping an eye on all the background tech and keeping things ticking along for us um and thanks to all the listeners for sticking with us right the way through at the end look forward to catching up with you next week